And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman Report on this first day of winter, the shortest day of the year. we got a great show lined up for you tonight. First, we are going to be joined by Paul McGuire, and he's going to be talking about his latest book, Trumpocalypse. And then, in Hour 3, Dr. David Berman, who was a guest not too long ago, will be coming back for his second appearance. Paul McGuire will be joining us shortly. We're going to cover a few pieces of news while we bring him on. One of the more interesting stories today that I just want to throw out there as we begin is this from NBC News. Prosecutors ask FBI agents for info on Uranium One deal. On the orders of Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Justice Department prosecutors have begun asking FBI agents to explain the evidence they found in a now dormant criminal investigation into controversial uranium deal that critics have linked to Bill and Hillary Clinton. Multiple law enforcement officials told NBC News the interview, interviews with the FBI agents are part of the Justice Department's effort to fulfill a promise an assistant attorney general made to Congress last month to examine whether special counsel was warranted to look into what has become known as the Uranium One deal, a senior Justice Department official said. And we've all went, we went through the history of Uranium One and what that is and, and what happened there. So is this the uh, first steps of an impossible investigation into this, or is this being done to placate many who have been asking for an investigation? I think that's the real question, but nonetheless, Jeff Sessions has, I don't know, finally done something, at least, and has called for the interviews of FBI agents to, to re-examine evidence, which is pretty interesting. I don't know how many people saw this today, 128 countries in the UN have voted against the Trump recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital, even though it won't matter. Nikki Haley today called out the member states who voted against her, who voted against the, U, uh, the U.S. and Trump's decision, saying that they're going to keep track of who voted against and possibly withhold funding to the UN and to those countries which are not in line with what the U.S. wants to do. But nonetheless, the U.N.'s vote, uh, meaningless. Nikki Haley also said that the embassy was going to be moved regardless of their the U.N.'s decision and that the U.S. will not change its policy. So interesting news there. We have our guest with us, Paul McGuire. He is the author of his latest book, Trumpocalypse, The End-Time President, a battle against the globalist elite and the countdown to Armageddon. His website is paulmcguire.us. Paul, welcome back to the show. Hey, it's great to be on again. And uh, every every time we wake up, the, the news is exploding with both prophetic and time uh, news stories and just, you know, probably the greatest um, battle for the heart and soul of America and the world was going on right around us. 
Yeah, it is. Every single day. I mean, it's a, uh, it's something else to watch, especially with Trump in here, because we see, uh, every day how insane and, and spiritually dark the media is and the, you know, global elitist and satanic politicians that are in DC that are constantly on the news. And it's, uh, it's amazing that Trump's able to get anything done, but we saw the historic tax deal yesterday. Paul, what do, right. what do you think about this? Well, I think I think we're looking at the most historic presidency in the history of the United States. Um, you know, President George Washington and our founding fathers. That would be the most historic uh, moment in the history of our nation. But I think the Trump presidency represents uh, a turning point, and it's like. Um, there's so many unexpected consequences to Trump being elected. It's like he, his very presidency, he walked into a very dark chamber, a very dark room, which would be the whole Washington, D.C. establishment. And we all suspected for years, you know, corruption, mismanagement, wasting of money, abuse of power. Uh, on the part of both political parties, both Republican and Democrat. I mean, everybody suspected that. You know, you had that gut feeling in you, but you couldn't you couldn't get real facts. You know what I'm saying? They were always hidden. So suddenly Trump becomes president, and then our worst suspicions are confirmed in terms of uh, the traitorous nature of leading politicians in both parties, the the complete the complete financial mismanagement that is just staggering. Um, and everything Trump opens the door to, it's 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 like you say, well, what were these other presidents doing for crying out loud? And I'm talking about Republican and Democrat. I'm talking about people like Bush Jr., Obama, Clinton, Bush Sr., both the Republicans and the Democrats. I mean, what have they been doing for the last 60 years? One quick thing. He, he wants to audit the Pentagon. For well, what is it? It's a try. Is it a trillion dollars here? I think it's a trillion dollars uh, missing of um, missing funds. A trillion dollars. Well, where were all the other presidents? How come they never uh, held uh, the institutions accountable? And um, you know, all these presidents pretending to be um, supporting Israel because they wanted to uh, appeal to both the Jewish voters and to Christian voters who believe in Israel. It was basically a lot of hot air and talk. And Trump comes along, and he's the first president that actually does something concrete. And he makes Jerusalem, uh, he recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And he wants to put our embassy there. And as you just read, he's not going to back down. It's, it's literally Trump versus the world. Trump versus the globalists. Trump versus the United Nations. And we've never seen anything like this. Uh, it, it, every time he does something, he sheds light. I mean, I, I, my mind is literally staggered at the, the horrific management, the abuse of power, the wasting of money, the corruption in the deep state. And Trump, just Trump's uh, presidency has shined a light on it. So for the first time in my lifetime and many other people's lifetime, I am now seeing the truth. And, and the truth is, the people we have in Washington, in both parties, 
have sold this nation down the river for so many decades. They have completely ripped off the American uh, worker, lower class, lower middle class, middle class worker. They've ripped them off. Uh, they have spent money like drunken sailors in port after port. And you know this, and, and your viewers and listeners know this. Um, Trump's presidency is is shining a light, and I, even I, I, my mouth hangs open at the the corruption uh, that's that's factually evident and the mismanagement. I mean, I'm staggered. I can't believe that this whole, you know, we always thought most of us were under the illusion, even though we knew economic facts that. You know, it was the global marketplace or competitiveness or some mysterious force that was causing America to be in debt every year and some mysterious force that was causing it not to have its economy grow. Some mysterious force which was lowering the wages of the middle class and the working class. And it turns out to be it's no mysterious force. It's we got politicians who have sold their souls to foreign powers and the whole stinking thing is corrupt. All it is, and it's, uh, you know, just uh, one example of this is in the FBI and the DOJ, we've seen a lot of uh, criticism of the upper management there, you know, the people mm-hmm. at the very top and their, their corruption, their bias. And just look at these institutions and all the different things we see. You know, we have these investigations from, you know, the, the Mueller Russia one to uh, just all the Clinton investigations that they're, you have the, the FBI uh, McCabe, he is being re-subpoenaed after seven and a half hour testimony this week for inconsistencies in his testimony. You have, you know, the Peter Strauch, you have the Clinton emails, you have this Uranium One, and nobody is ever held accountable. And just go, we can go right. all the way back to 9-11. Nobody right. was fired, nobody, uh, you know, lost their job, nobody, nothing. I mean, people were moved around, shuffled around, and promoted. And it is just, right. as you said, it's amazing to see uh, that we are our politicians and our in the system of government is our own worst enemy. And then to take it a step further, when you see something like what we saw yesterday with these tax cuts, we see, uh, you know, and this is one thing I love about Trump, the enemies of this country, the people who truly make hate America, uh, show themselves whether they mean to or not, and their true in- feelings and intentions, especially on things like this when you have. Um, well, I think it was over 85% of, of individuals were going to receive a tax break. But you have the media right. turning around and saying, you know, this is a plundering of the middle class. All of a sudden, they're, they're deficit hawks, and they're so worried about the national debt. And even here, here's Chuck Schumer. He said nearly 145 million middle class families under making under $200,000 are going to get tax hikes. Well, there's only 82 million families in the country. So, I mean, it's right. just crazy that when you see these people, even things that are, are good and that, that go across the board and help everybody, they can't help themselves. And this is a spiritual uh, problem at its core that what these people have is just hatred for anything that's good and anything that's normal. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, I grew up uh, in an atheist household in New York City, liberal families. My parents were liberal atheists. All our friends were liberals. So, like, liberalism is in my blood. I know how they think, walk, talk, because I spent my formative years in New York. And then I spent a great deal of time in the secular media, which is all liberal. But, um, the, the, you know, I was talking to uh, somebody 
I don't want to give away the details, but I was talking to somebody and I was saying that uh, most likely I will turn down um, some, and I rattled off the name of, you know, big cable news network shows. Uh, I said, you know, we're not going to do those. I'm not going to do those. Now, I used to do those all the time, okay? And that was, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago. I used to do that all the time, and I was like constantly on Fox News Network, the biggest shows. And Fox has some programs where you can get a fair shot. I would go on those programs. Um, I would not go on CNN and all the rest of them. I don't care who invited me because they have reached such a level of corruption that, you know, they, they were rigging debates back when I was on by turning my mic down and turning the camera away from me and playing all kinds of games. But you could still get your point through and you could still win the debate even though you were handicapped. Now it has become so corrupt that lying, distorting, they will not, first of all, they won't invite an intelligent conservative on. Uh, second of all, if they did, they will switch the camera off you, they'll turn down your sound, and then they'll go to a commercial. The minute you start to win, the minute you cease being a punching bag or a sucker from them, they will use any means necessary uh, to, 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 get, to get rid of you. And it's not just me, it's, it's anybody with a conservative, articulate voice, and God forbid somebody who has Christian values. So I said to this person, I said, you know, this, this whole media environment is completely changed. You're not going on, and I'm not going on these programs because they are so rigged, and they have absolutely no intention of, of communicating the truth. They don't have any journalistic ethics. The whole thing has changed. And, you know, we all knew that the media was owned by a globalist elite. But during the last 20 years, you know, it, it, I guess 30 years ago, there were like 100, 100, 100 or 150 different corporations that owned the mainstream media, which meant you would have some kind of diversity of opinion. Well, now it's down to own corporations control all of the mainstream media, which means the globalist elite controls everything with few exceptions in the mainstream media. There are some exceptions, but they're almost microscopic. And so the media, people need to realize this, the, the media and the reporters and the journalists and, and, the, and the pretty people you know, that go in their limousines, they know who they're working for. You have to have a liberal ideology. You can only say what they want said they know it. It's an unspoken rule. It's not spoken. And if you dare to depart from the globalist agenda in any way, shape, or form, on any subject, whether you're talking about LGBT rights, transgender, climate change, Donald Trump, or whatever you're talking about, if you don't talk the politically correct uh, dogma, uh, they will try to destroy you. And this is worse than George Orwell's worst nightmare. The media is so corrupt in our nation. Again, it's very few exceptions. I'm talking about a handful. The mainstream media is is so is completely corrupt. It's completely fascist in its thought. And the only reason it has any audience at all is because it illegally and covertly partners with the tech giants and the search engines to to block people who are. Uh, uh, fleeing by the millions 
to seek out alternative news media. Alternative news media, like your program, uh, I don't know if you realize how important your program is and how powerful it is, and there are others like your program, uh, different style, but they too are received. People know they can't find the truth in the mainstream media, so they're fleeing to the alternative media. But the alternative media and the tech giants are doing everything they can to try to, to block that. They don't want a fair and square competition because they know with all the billions of dollars the mainstream media would lose to people like you and your dad and others. You you have a microscopic fraction of the budget they, that they have. But if they weren't rigging stuff, you know, your numbers and rigging the search engines, literally, you would outnumber their listeners and viewers on a nightly basis. The only reason that you aren't, and in many cases you are, but the only reason that it's, that it's not a total uh, win is because they're using their billions of dollars to to try to remove you from the internet. That's why this net neutrality stuff is people need to wake up and if they like your program, they need to support you because these people have every intention of, of censoring you right off the internet. Yeah, they do. And, you know, uh, one thing I was thinking about today, the support that we get from people, it doesn't just go to support us, but it also helps uh, support every and any guest we bring on because it, it gives the platform for so many different right. voices to be able to come on and voice their opinion. But I, I want to kind of take this conversation in a different direction, Paul. Sure. On our sure. daily show, John and I uh, got a little bit into this. But one thing, one problem we have here in this country, uh, we, when we, everything we just laid out with the, the media and the politicians and uh, how society tends to lean, we have so many low-information people in this country. And when I say low-information, I mean people who don't care about uh, politics or don't pay attention to politics and, and current events. Instead, they find themselves, uh, you know, watching sports all the time and listening to sports radio or the Kardashians or could be completely uh, something else, uh, other hobbies that they have. But for whatever reason, refuse to engage in the national debate or weigh in on, you know, uh, or learn anything of what's going on in the news. And I think these people, and I'm not saying they're better or worse than anybody, but I think these people uh, are are the ones who see what is said on CNN, and they just believe it because they don't know any better. Uh, you know, they they don't know what's going on with fake news, and they don't pay attention enough to see the lies right. on a daily and, and hourly basis that come from these networks. So they just kind of go with the flow when it comes to that stuff. And my question is, how do you, what what would it take to get this huge percentage of the population, what we would call low information voters? or no information voters to start to pay attention. I mean, what what will that take for people to to start engaging in the political discussion? You know, Joe, you just put your finger on the, the number one problem, the, 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 the problem that I think about the most, um, low information voters or, you know, the people that have been scientifically dumbed down. That is the, That is the biggest problem. It's bigger than anything else we just talked about. And first we have to ask ourselves is why are there, it's roughly 50% of the nation. I mean, the low information voters are approximately half of the population. And we have to ask ourselves why is half, and then the half that are not low information are like a little bit of information and the high information voters are really a very effective 
minority, but they're numerically, you know, uh, percentage-wise small. But these low-information voters, you have to ask yourself, why are they low-information? And this is this is something that people really have to... This is a truth that people just can't mentally acknowledge. They have to own this truth. They have to embrace the truth. The light bulb has to totally go on inside of them, because only then can they do something about it. And, and that's, that's the good news. We can do something about this low-information voter, but we have to understand why they are the way they are. And just to, to say it in a nutshell, the United States of America and Western nations and most nations in the world, and this is a reality, we live in what Alice Huxley called a scientific dictatorship, which means it gives the illusion of being like a free country and a free nation, et cetera, et cetera. But as Huxley said, and you've heard me say this probably a million times, um, he said, in a truly effective scientific dictatorship, people will not even know they're in a scientific dictatorship, and we can program them, uh, we can brainwash them to learn to love their slavery. So that was the most effective way for the scientific elite, the scientific dictatorship, to rule the masses. And, you, and people say, well, that's Huxley. Well, Huxley was from an elite British family, but then you go to Brzezinski, uh, who's now dead, um, and he was one of the co-founders of the Trilateral Commission and, and uh, Rockefeller's right-hand man. And Brzezinski says the same thing. He simply calls it a, techni a technocratic uh, dictatorship using technocratic weapons. We can control the masses. And shortly before, um, he uh, issued uh, a warning to his fellow elite, uh, his fellow globalist elite uh, members. He issued a warning about four years ago before he died. And the warning was that all across planet Earth, and especially in the United States and Europe, the world is on the verge of a mass global awakening because of the Internet, social media, and alternative media programs like yours. He said it, it, it's reaching the point, he said, where a critical mass of people are moving from what you said, from being low information like voters to people who uh, are awakened, people who now know what's going on and they know what the elite are trying to do. And, and Brzezinski warned about this, and he said if we don't, block or stop this mass awakening from occurring, we could lose our our uh, hold on on masses. And so we've got to use our techni uh, technocratic uh, elite, our technocratic weapons uh, to, to block it. Now, so the reason we have so many low information voters is because this plan for control, let's say in America, began in the late 1800s, um, and that is uh, every totalitarian regime in the last 200 years, the way they rule, for the most part, is they brainwash their people, they indoctrinate their people, uh, they put their, uh, their kids through a programming process in the schools. As one head of the National Edu uh, Education Association said, uh, a doctor of education who runs, you know, all of our schools, 
He said, the primary purpose of education, he was speaking of American schools, the primary purpose of education is not to educate, he said, it's to indoctrinate. If anybody is listening to his talk and they have some romantic fantasy that, that they got a degree or they went to college or high school or whatever or an advanced degree to get educated, they are incredibly naive and a low-information voter because the people who designed the educational system said, its primary function is to indoctrinate, not to educate. That doesn't mean you don't learn things, let's say, in engineering or the hard sciences and stuff. You do learn that. But the emphasis is on indoctrination. Uh, a case in point would be, and, and I'm the father of three millennials, so I have a great deal of compassion. Uh, and I did everything I could when they were children uh, because I saw what was coming. And I did everything I could to to uh, give my kids a, a biblical worldview, which encompassed economics and all kinds of things. But even, you know, I would have I would talk to my kids in the car as I was driving them to their schools at, at a very very young age. Probably shocking to most parents, I would talk to them about sexuality, and I would say to them. You know, in a conversational manner, I said, remember, all sexuality is programmable. Now, they understood that by, because they, they knew how to program their remotes, remote controls. What I was telling them is that sexual desires, whether you're of this orientation, that orientation, or whatever it is when it comes to sexuality, God created it in such a way that you can program people like computers to change their sexual desires and orientation. So I was laying in, uh, I was hoping would be an antidote against uh, brainwashing. But despite all my best efforts, despite uh, all the sacrifice in sending our kids to Christian schools, they, uh, I mean, they, they are walking with the Lord. Uh, they, they have a biblical worldview to a degree. But I must tell you that the monster that I was fighting was far bigger than I thought it was, because Facebook, social media, YouTube, uh, television, and the whole thing, it has shaped their consciousness, just like your whole audience, you know, their kids' consciousness has been shaped by social media and the Internet. And uh, that is one of the most powerful tools for indoctrination and brainwashing. So... My my kids understand the difference between capitalism and Marxism and communism because I talked to them about it when, when they were in first grade, second grade, and third grade, and fourth grade. But as you know, the data just came out like three weeks ago. Seventy-three percent of the millennials uh, um, do not know what communism or Marxism actually is. Seventy-three percent of the millennials. But ironically, about the exact same percentage, 73% of the millennials, want America to be a Marxist uh, socialist nation. And how is that? Because they don't know anything about it. But they've been indoctrinated. Yeah. Think think of how they, how, um, how they, how much they whine now and how much, you know, they they see injustice and all these, you know, racists in, right. in every corner now. Think of how much worse that would be if they actually had those systems of government that they that they uh, are promoting in in there. Uh, you know, it'd be ten well, times you're worse right. for them. You're right. 
And I was watching a, a television program, a, a current uh, sitcom with my wife, which I don't usually do. And what was interesting, this thing was produced uh, like like six months ago, and it's running. And uh, it's about a single mother, and she's having arguments with her preteen and teenage daughters. And I, I could see the remember the same arguments in my household with my kids. And it was, it, it, it's a mentality that, that kids get through the internet and social, social media, you know, this millennial mentality. So the key in controlling the masses, the, this is, this is the takeaway. The key in controlling the masses is you have to scientifically dumb them down. So, so they, they think on a very low level, or better yet, you program them not even to think at all. That's the, 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 the number one uh, process in, in scientific mind control. You dumb people down, and you destroy their ability to even think at all. And then once you've done that, you can mold them and shape them any way you want, and then you can spoon-feed them propaganda, lies, uh, you know, uh, the belief that Marxism is good even though it's a nightmare. So when you said low-information voter, the problem is, over 50% of the population of America has been programmed, I'll be blunt, programmed to be stupid, programmed not to think. On a neurological, chemical, and thought process. And so I deal with this in my new book, Conquering the Matrix. It's 380 pages, but I go into detail how this is done. Bullet points. You can rewire neurologically the human brain so people stop thinking. It is the um, um, right side of the brain where you do like the big picture thinking, where you analyze, where you question. Well, we have over 50% of the American population that has their right brain turned off basically neurologically. They can't look at the big picture, they can't analyze, they can't question. They're just compliant robots, if you will. And the reason for that is the educational process, through very subtle ways, is designed to shut down the right brain. The primary way is you teach to the test and you get rid of music, creativity, literature, and any opportunity for the uh, right brain to be activated. And once you deactivate that right brain, you have very stupid people that can't analyze, that can't question. And the worst thing is, Joe, they don't even want to question. That's number one. The number two uh, area that the, this mind control, dumbing down, low information uh, voter is programmed is through uh, chemical changes in the body and mind. You fill them with GMO food, genetically modified organisms. You take the fluoride that's in the water. I know people think that's a conspiracy theory, but look, fluoride was never put in any nation's drinking water. The first time it was ever put in a nation's drinking water was in Nazi Germany under Adolf Hitler. A, a very high-level chemical engineer uh, went to Germany he, he was hired to inspect all the water plants throughout Germany <clears throat> to see if he could make them more efficient and better. 
And he realized that uh, all the water plants in Germany had a, a very, very high percentage of fluoride in the water, and he couldn't figure out why. Why was all this fluoride in the water? And, you know, fluoride, uh, he, as far as he knew, he knew it didn't prevent cavities, um, but he didn't know why they had so much fluoride in the water, because it, it wasn't something positive. It was potentially a health hazard. And then he did studies, and he discovered that the reason the fluoride was put in the water in Nazi Germany is fluoride in the brain shuts down that inquisitive, ask questions, you know, look at the big picture. Fluoride makes you compliant, dumb, and stupid. Fluoride is a contributive factor in making you a low-information voter. And I'm very passionate about this because I've done a tremendous amount of research into the biochemistry of this. So everybody listening, I know you want your breath to smell good and your teeth to look good and all the rest of that. But if you have fluoride in your toothpaste and your mouthwash, which almost all of those products do have, and if you're drinking uh, drinking water like I used to drink it, you know, thinking drinking water was great, tap water, it's got fluoride in it. And, and fluoride, does first of all, does not stop cavities. And fluoride shuts down the brain. It makes you a low-information voter. And then number three is the number three technology that's used to make people low-information, non-questioning voters is electromagnetic frequencies, EMF fields. And let's remember, HARP is an EMF facility that generates um, EMF waves that can change weather patterns, okay? EMF waves can cause tsunamis, hurricanes, uh, storms, all kinds of things. But ironically, EMF waves are also brain waves. So you take the Wi-Fi from your phone and your Internet, and you take uh, the, the CERN, uh, not CERN, excuse me, the various types of new uh, cell phone towers, cell phones, uh, uh, radio broadcasts, television broadcasts, we are bombarded with uh, EMF uh, field uh, alterations. E- EMF field alterations can change change people's moods, but it can also dumb them down. It can dumb them down like a tranquilizer. It's just done electronically. Or it can give you heightened awareness. So our awareness is being shut down chemically through the educational process, and through uh, EMF fields. And for anybody that would doubt that this is true, in my book, Conquering the Matrix, I quote the former head of the CIA, Brennan. Everybody knows the former director of the CIA, Brennan. And he gave a speech at um, the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, which was televised uh, last year. And in his statement, he, he applauded geoengineering. And one of the ways geoengineering works is you use these EMF fields to modify the weather, to create rain, to create droughts. Uh, you can change weather patterns with uh, EMF fields. And he came out openly. So for all the people who scoff at this, he said that uh, he thought uh, geoengineering and the usage of EMF fields to change weather, manufacture weather, was a very good thing because it would solve the problems of climate change. But what he didn't tell people is, is the power of that technology can create superstorms. 
It can create massive hurricanes. It can create tornadoes. It can create earthquakes. It can take uh, create tsunamis. And it can change the brainwave patterns of entire populations. So when you look at this freak weather and these superstorms that are erupting in the U.S. and other places, you have to ask yourself, is this a product of climate change or is it scientifically manufactured weather? And uh, I believe in some cases it's scientifically manufactured weather. Very true, Paul. Um, and that speech hey, is on, hey, brother, I've been here, I've been just quietly soaking up the information that you've been providing. That speech was on 29 June, by the way, last year. What? That speech, uh, Brennan's speech, was on June 29th, 2016 to the uh, CFR. By the way, I caught your appearance on uh, InfoWars. You you gave a powerful presentation. Uh, I guess maybe it's not a new set. It's the first time I saw your your set with the desk. Uh, You looked very sharp, very professional. And more importantly, very, very knowledgeable, and you hit a home run, so congratulations. Well, well, well thank you. Yeah, and that, that, that actually, we did that from my office, and, uh, um, you know, which is attached to the studio, which, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It, it, I was fortunate enough to talk, be able to talk to Roger Stone and, um, and Alex Jones. Yeah. You know, and, it, yeah, I, I thought so. And there, there's a lot of, what you said coming into this program, in, in the first part of the program, uh, and the money with respect to what's going on and um uh you know there there is i just just kind of going backwards a ways um you know there is a powerful cabal right now i think right where, you know that that really we're, we're in the fight of our lives I, I guess i'll just summarize it like that oh you're right you're absolutely you're absolutely right and what you're talking about uh grip me because it's the research i've been doing and you know uh interrupt me as you you feel a need to, but uh, this cabal that has arisen with uh, high-level members of the FBI, former directors of the FBI and in the CIA and in the NSA and who knows what other intelligence agencies, uh, talk about a collusion. You know, Mueller, this is a completely science fiction fantasy collusion there there is no for crying out loud there is no trump russia collusion it doesn't exist it's a complete fabrication made up by these high level intelligence officers as you and your audience know uh it was a plan and what they said uh was an insurance policy in in the remote event that trump got elected they would use this a fake news story of a Trump-Russia collusion to impeach him or take him out of office. And, and and you know, you see what these guys have said in, in the emails, and, and you see Mueller and the other top FBI officials and other intelligence officials who clearly hate Trump. They wanted to do everything in their power to keep Trump from being elected. Uh, before he got elected, and then if he did got elected, they have every intention of removing him from power. And you know, I grew up in America like you did, where you know we pledged allegiance to the flag. This idea of a rogue uh, uh, deep state of FBI officials and others, intelligence uh, agency directors and stuff. They're, they've gone rogue. I mean, 
The fundamental basis of our nation is we the people vote for our president. We the people voted for Trump constitutionally, and they're trying to have a coup. It's against the entire Constitution and the American way of life, and I don't understand why people are not going like insane over this. <laughs> exactly. Now, if I can ask you a question, Paul, uh, directly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, you had mentioned about the insurance policy, and of course, that's a reference to one of ten thousand texts sent between um, Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Strzok from FBI, Page is an attorney of the DOJ, and, and they, mm-hmm. they were engaged in an extramarital. Uh, uh, Trist, and that, that's one of ten thousand, one of three hundred and seventy-five emails. However, that that have been released, and the reference to the insurance policy has bothered me from day one. And this past weekend on the show, outnumbered uh, commentator Kevin Jackson, I believe is his name, had referenced this uh, insurance policy not being the Russian dossier, but the the insurance policy being a possible, uh, yeah, a possible assassination plot against Donald Trump. And it kind of it was a showstopper there when he said that. And then he kind of he didn't really walk it back. He just said, well, social media is talking about this. I I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were on this um in the context in which that text was sent and that uh sentiment exists. Well, that's a heavy question and I've thought about it. And I'll tell you what. Uh in our book Apocalypse as it was it finished going through the final editing, and it was going to to, to the publisher. It was in a it was going to be mailed to the or emailed to the publisher in like a day or two. Um, the day before it was going to get emailed to the publisher after its final edit, um, I called some. I called a major Christian leader that I know, and I know a lot of major evangelical leaders from different theological backgrounds. And the reason I'm saying that is uh, the person I'm going to mention is controversial um, in in many circles in the evangelical community. But I interact with people uh, who are evangelical leaders who are Baptists, Charismatics, Pentecostals, Calvinists, you know, evangelicals. Uh, You know, I don't just cherry-pick people. I'm, I'm... you know, it doesn't, you know, the doctrine is very important, okay? I got that. But if we're sitting in a jail cell in a totalitarian state, uh, uh, just because we're Christians, the totalitarian state is going to throw us all in jail just because we have Christian beliefs. Anyway, I have found this gentleman to uh, be very accurate, highly intelligent in areas where many ministers aren't, such as economics, et cetera. So when I saw the Drudge Report, big front story, and on the cover there was a picture of two hands being laid on Donald Trump's head, uh, which were two uh, ministers praying over him. And then in the same photo, you saw Trump's head, these two hands on Trump's head, and you saw a whole bunch of major evangelical leaders, some of who were Baptists and fundamentalists and evangelical, et cetera, et cetera. And before I read the, uh, the what happened, uh, that all these evangelical leaders were invited passionately, enthusiastically by Trump, and he wanted them to pray for him, I recognized the rings on the hands of, of, of the male pastor and his wife, a female pastor. They had matching rings, and they're unusual rings. And the, the pastor, then I, I read later on because I recognized the rings, 
is uh, a minister named Rodney Howard Brown, uh, who is a friend of uh, Paula White, who, you know, is, uh, I guess, the main liaison between Trump and, and the Christian community. So I called him immediately because, you know, I realized, you know, just like a couple of hours before I saw this uh, Drudge front page, he had been laid hands on the president and all the ministers of their own prayed for him. And, and I wanted to get the real inside story. And I won't go into it except to say this, which is he said Trump, it wasn't like fake being nice. He said like it had been with other presidents in the White House. There was always a stiffness and a coldness. There was a real warm camaraderie, and Trump truly did want to be prayed for. So I said, well, what happened when you prayed for him? And, and, and he described it to me. I won't go into it now. But then he said to me, Paul, um, I, I've just told a little bit about this to the media, but basically I haven't said anything yet. He's us. Uh, before we went to meet with Donald Trump, uh, he said, I was pulled aside by a very high level, and I assume it was a Republican leader. I, I don't know for sure. He said, I was pulled aside by a very high level Republican leader who's been uh, held a very high office in Washington for the last 30 years. And he pulled me aside, um, uh, Pastor Ruddy. Howard Brown said he pulled me aside and he told me that Trump's life is in grave danger. He was very serious. He was very sober. And he said um, the, the deep state or, or whatever the precise term was, I think it was the term deep state or a synonym of the deep state. He said the deep state is planning to take out Trump. And he was very concerned. And 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 uh, Pastor Brown said, "Well, what do you mean by take take out?" He said, "I mean kill him, assassinate him." He said, "They're planning on killing Trump." And uh, and then they had a lengthy conversation. And I, and, and you know, uh, I didn't know what was in the lengthy conversation. I really wasn't in a, in a hurry to know all about that. And so then I was talking to Rodney Howard Brown. Uh, as he was explaining this to me, and the very real threat by a high, high-level uh, Republican insider who's been in Washington for over 30 years, saying that they're they're going to try to kill him um, physically, and um, so I I was talking to Rodney Howard Brown on the phone, and he was wrestling with what to say and what not to say. Uh, and then he had to excuse himself from the conversation because he said, Paul, I've got, we talked for about an hour and he said, I've got to, uh, I've got to get off the phone with you now. He said, because in, he was talking to me from his office. He said, outside my office are a whole bunch of secret service agents and they want to do an extensive interview with me, uh, regarding what I heard. So the secret service was there. And uh, and they interviewed him about what they heard. So we managed to get that in the book, Trump Trumpocalypse. I, I, I had it forced in. I delayed the, the, the book a little bit to get it forced in up front because it was so important. And I wanted people to understand that these uh, threats on Trump's life are not like uh, paranoia. You know, they're real. And you've you heard there's been many people who have said that 
one way or the other. So the thing is, my takeaway from it is that they're very powerful people in this nation and globally who have every intention of taking Trump out, whether they uh, take him out through psychological assassination, where they declare he's mentally unfit, and I go through this uh, in Trumpocalypse. I, I dismantle the psychological theory that they're using that, that basically says he's power-hungry and he's going to you know, hit the nuke button, which is completely untrue. And then if that doesn't work, they're going, uh, they may well, there may well be a crisis in the United States, terrorist attack, nuke attack, manufactured crisis. We know plans are being laid for riots in the streets by the hard left, financed by the big super billionaires uh, who want to see regime change and, and they want to force Trump out of office. You're fully aware, and your listeners are aware, that, that a Cook County commissioner in Chicago is calling for armed U.N. troops to, uh, 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 you know, control Chicago. Well, you know, that's an that's a illegal invitation for a foreign army, an armed army, to occupy. It's a trial run at martial law. Okay, you, when you're bringing in, I don't know, thousands of armed UN troops to control a U.S. city, that is the beginning of martial law. So we know for a fact that these people are creating. They have they they have already said openly that if Trump fires Mueller, that they are prepared. Uh, these activist groups financed by the billionaires are prepared to stage uh, violent demonstrations in major cities all across the United States. So just imagine the scenario. Violent demonstrations going on all across the United States, planned, financed by, by big money people, uh, highly coordinated, if Trump fires Mueller. Okay, so what that does is that gives the opportunity for people to scream, this is a national emergency, and then different uh, liberal mayors and stuff call for U.N. troops, and you now have a situation which Henry Kissinger said, that famous quote, he said, you know, right now, when he wrote it about 25 years ago, he said people would complain if they saw armed, blue-helmeted U.N. troops coming into Los Angeles to maintain order. He said, but uh, through manufactured crisis in the future, they won't complain when they see the blue-helmeted U.N. troops uh, coming in to occupy major cities in the United States to restore law and order. They, they will thank us. So here we have a possible scenario where U.N. troops are patrolling uh, U.S. cities, and it wouldn't surprise me if the hidden Chinese and Russian troops, and who knows from what other nations they are that are already hidden in America, uh, participate this. So you now have a coup. You have a real coup because because Trump is taking the appropriate legal action to fire uh, a rogue FBI director and his entourage that that have no real. This is not a legitimate investigation. This investigation is nothing more than a pretense to take Trump out of office. It, and it's connected to the DNC, Hillary Clinton, and the corrupt, the, 
corrupt members of the intelligence agencies. We know, you know, that the rank and file, the lower level FBI and CIA, etc., are going to try to fight this. But we're, we're talking about a final showdown. People need to wake up. And they need to wake up because I was talking to this very high-level Jewish leader, okay, about three days ago. And I said, in America, we have not learned what the Jews supposedly learned in Nazi Germany when they were in a total state of psychological denial after hearing endless reports of the tortures and murders and the existence of the concentration camps all over Nazi Germany. The Jews were so psychologically process called the normalcy bias that they absolutely refused to believe that the concentration camps existed and that Hitler was currently incinerating, gassing to death, shooting and burning the bodies of millions of Jews and others in Nazi Germany. They would not believe it. And there's one picture that, that sends chills up and down my spine. You may have seen it. It's a, it's, it's a photograph of about 500 men in an open yard in a Nazi concentration camp, and they're all dressed in uh, suits with ties, pressed shirts, carrying attache cases. They're all dressed. They have a smile on their face because they have been told that the reason they're all dressed up is they're going to go to job interviews today, and the Nazis are going to give them legitimate employment. So they've they've ignored all the the rumors of the, the the killings in the concentration camp. They've dressed up for job interviews and employments. It's a tragic picture. But where they're really going when they go into the room for the job interviews, they're going into a gas chamber where they will be gassed to death and die. And you know the story in in uh, Nazi Germany. You know the story that right outside of the door there were Jews and others standing right on the, the door outside of the gas chambers who were convinced that they were going to take a shower like they were told and be cleaned up. And I guess they could peek in at certain points and they could see like the shower heads in this giant room. So they enthusiastically, the millions, they would go into the gas chamber seeing the nozzles and, and prepare the, you know, looking for soap and stuff. But, you know, no hot water came out of the shower heads, just gas, and they died. And this happened over and over again. The Jews could not bring themselves psychologically to acknowledge the reality, the factual reality, that the Nazis were organized and they were going to kill 8 million people, uh, many of them Jews. Okay, so let's transpose that psychological dynamic, which is uh, the psychology of denial based on the normalcy bias, that the human mind always seeks out something of sameness or what they perceive as normal, even if it's not normal. And so the idea that you're going to be gassed to death is an abnormal thought, so you reject it because you want the lie of a normal thought. In America, we've had it comfortable for many years. We've had many dangers. Nothing's really ever happened. But we are in a different place, and the place we're in now is very easily President Trump and his administration could be toppled violently through manufactured crisis, through nuke attack, through trumped-up allegations, no pun intended. He could be assassinated with a, with a cover story. And they fully intend to institute martial law 
And you have to understand that the reason these mass shootings keep going off is to get is to wear the people down because one the reason the German people were conquered by Hitler so easily and the Russian people were conquered by the communists is because they didn't have any guns. They couldn't defend themselves. The American people have lots of guns. They can resist tyranny. But if they succumb to this lie and give up their guns, we now have UN troops ready to come in the United States. It doesn't take a rocket scientist or a genius to start connecting these dots. We cannot go into the place where we say it can't happen here. Anybody listening to your program who subconsciously is saying, oh no, it can't happen here. He's exaggerating. This could never happen here. We have all these checks and balances. I'm going to tell you, you listening or watching this program right now, you are dangerously deluded. You have succumbed to the same psychological dynamic which caused 8 million people to die in the Holocaust. Let me tell you something. America is no different than any other nation. It can happen here, and I hate to break it to you. I hate to pop the balloon because you've been inhaling a whole lot of uh, nitrous oxide at the uh, uh, dentist's office, and you're a little giddy from uh, the mask you put over your nose. I hate to break it to you, but Paul. we're one snap of the fingers away of martial law. You're, you're right. We're right up against the break, Paul. And when we come back, I want to kind of go over some of what you just uh, talked about, specifically about Robert Mueller and uh, the scenario you laid out. Our guest is Paul McGuire, author of Trumpocalypse. PaulMcGuire.us is the website. We'll be right back. He's with us through the next hour. Don't go anywhere. guest Paul McGuire. He is the co-author of Trump, Trumpocalypse, and along with Troy Anderson. And folks, go to paulmcguire.us or go directly to Amazon. Pre-order this book. That's almost like a mandate uh, from the Hagman Report. And I say that lovingly, of course, because the information contained in this book is absolutely up-to-date, critical, and so right on the money. I, I, I covered in my morning program today some of what Paul is talking about, but consider this very quickly. If you look over the past 25 years, the American presidency has faced a rolling crisis of legitimacy. Now consider this. Three of our recent presidents, you had Clinton, Bush and Obama have all been stigmatized as illegitimate by their critics. None of them, however, has had to face day in, day out, battering ram accusations, battering ram of uh, of resistance that has confronted President Donald Trump. And what makes this so different from those against his predecessors is that the assaults have not come from just one direction, but have, meaning the opposing party or the opposition party, they've come from all directions and all at once. Now consider that as Paul McGuire continues talking about what we face. And and I do have it. My own sources within the Beltway are talking that 
the uh, acceleration. I mean, it's accelerating. What we're seeing is accelerating. So uh, we have to approach this with complete sobriety and understanding what we're facing here. And if you don't know, if you cannot define who the enemies are, then you're not paying attention. Paul, thanks for thanks for holding out and thanks for being with us tonight, sir. Thank you for having me on. And in light of what you just said, that the the key way to process this information is with sobriety and with a sound mind. And I couldn't urge your listeners more to be on guard, to be vigilant. Uh, in terms of monitoring themselves, in terms of their own behaviors, their own thoughts, and their own actions. <clears throat> because in, in, in this spiritual battle that we're in, um, there are powerful forces who know the power of psychological manipulation. And, uh, conservatives and Christians and people that are patriotic are going to be, they have been, baited, and I hope people are listening to me very carefully, you're going to be baited, you're going to be seduced emotionally, you're going to be provoked, and your inclination and your temptation is to, is going to be to to strike back uh, with, with some kind of force, and I would say to you, that is exactly what you should not do. You need to think through your actions. If you begin breaking the law, you begin acting crazy, uh, you begin to become violent because you're legitimately provoked, and they're going to provoke you. So, so you know, expect it. You need to take a step back and a deep breath and do not allow yourself to be pulled into a conflict that is illegal, a conflict that is violent, or do not allow yourself to, to engage in any behavior, behavior, whether it's physical or verbal or what you say on the Internet, that is violent, that is illegal, that is irrational, that is filled with rage and anger. You're going to be baited, but you must resist the bait, because if you succumb to that, what you're simply going to do is you're going to hand over the keys to Daddy's car to the enemy and they're going to use that your craziness because you think it's justifiable they're going to use it to to justify declaring martial law and sending in UN troops or, or whatever and then we have a military occupation of the US or a police state so this is a time for sanity and uh, thinking on, on a really high level not just knee jerk reactions because you are going to be baited so so expect it and don't yield to it. No matter how much you feel like yielding to it, don't yield to it. Now, the other thing I would like to say is that, um, well, you know, again, the, the, the primary dynamic is we've all, most of us, have been around long enough to see many crises in our nation, many, many things, you know, upheaval, all kinds of things. This is the first time in the United States of America where the potential threat of martial law has been heavily planned, and the difference between the martial law threat, uh, which is always kind of loomed in the background, and now is this. The P-51 
people that have attempted to rule and run this country have a, a huge fear that they're going to lose their grip and they're going to lose their control over this nation. The globalists have a huge fear that they're going to lose control of America and other nations. That means they're in a panic mode. They're in a panic mode for that reason, but they're also in a personal panic mode because of judicial uh, proceedings go ahead as they should. A lot of these uh, illegal and rogue agents are going to end up in prison, and they're going to do anything, uh, any diversion, no matter how dramatic, is not off the table to keep them from not going to prison. So this makes the it makes it a very volatile situation, a very explosive situation. And when we see seriously, and it could happen in multiple cities, and then you see powerful interests with billions of dollars to spend um, using highly organized community organizer types, dem- uh, demonstrations, groups like Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and all these other groups, with a snap of a finger, uh, they can be commanded to be like shock troops. They can burn down cities. They can riot. They can loot. They can shoot. Okay, they can create a state of anarchy, uh, which will cause uh, a reaction. First, there will be the police attempting to stop it. But this is where Christians and conservatives need to be careful. This is not the time to play the Lone Ranger because you're going to bring on more trouble. You think you're solving the problem, but you're going to bring on trouble. You have to realize that the puzzle pieces for a high probability of martial law are in place. So they have to get rid of Trump. It has to be a plausible assassination. It can't be perceived that they did it. It has to be a plausible assassination, or they remove him uh, for psychological craziness, which they can make that up. Uh, a, a terrorist attack uh, on the White House, or any number, there's any number of ways to remove him. And lying, of course, is part and parcel of the program. They create a crisis where he's killed, the ter- a counterfeit terrorist attack or whatever. Then they have their chain of command uh, already set up. And it appears to me that some of these guys who are the ones that are designated to uh, uh, assume the role of president, etc., uh, seem to be drooling at the prospect. I'm not talking about Mike Pence, but so they seem to be over eager for this. So that's a very pre- that's a danger. We have to remember that it is it, it has really come down to it's Trump versus the world. They have had total control of this globalist game for the last 60 years. They knew without any shadow of a doubt. They deal with the highest level economists in the world. They knew that when they created the trade treaties like NAFTA and GATT and the World Trade Organization. They knew that they were lying when they told the American people it would cause more jobs to come into the U.S., more manufacturing to come into the U.S. They knew for a certainty that it would cause a a exodus of 80,000 manufacturing jobs to leave the U.S. to third world countries. They knew for a fact that there would be a flood of cash and good jobs going out of the U.S. into third world nations, and they knew for a fact that the middle class and the working class, that their incomes would plummet. They knew that. It was not an accident. It it was part of a meticulous plan 
uh, to rip off the American people. Why? Because you have to lower the power of America. Uh, America is people, you know, there are a lot of Christians confused about America. Well, let me wake you up. Is God's plan in the short term, in a temporal sense, it's God's plan for America. I, I believe the Bible supports American exceptionalism, and I'll tell you why. We deal with this heavily in Trump apocalypse, because many people who read the Bible are totally confused. Number one, nobody who goes to a church or calls themselves a Christian or even a conservative should be confused, and this is going to sound kind of assumptive on my part, as to what God's position is regarding globalism, socialism. In Genesis 11, the God of the Bible makes it extremely clear that he is against a one-world government. He is against globalism. That's the whole reason in Genesis 11 that God comes down to the earth. He looks at Babylon and the Tower of Babel. He sees that they want to become God, that they're Luciferian in their hearts, because they've created a new world order, but they've kicked him out of the picture. So he sees their one world government and their globalist super state, and he judges it. He judges their one world state by scattering them back into the different nations, and then he confuses their language. They had a common language supernaturally, thus we get the term babbling from Babylon. Okay, so God clearly says in his judgment of a one-world government and globalism that God is against globalism and he's against the one-world government. The reason for that is Genesis 11 also tells us that God is for nationalism, God is for patriotism because it empowers nationalism, and God is without exception clearly for uh, nationalism and the independent nation state. The reason God is for all those things and he's against globalism is he understands human nature and he understands human nature is fallen. So just like in the U.S. we have the separation of powers, checks and balances, because God knows that our nature is corrupt. So we have a, a judicial branch, an executive branch to kind of watch over each other and hopefully uh, keep a check in place for corruption. A global government does not allow a check in place for corruption. God wants the power distributed to different independent nation states. That's why God is always for an independent nation state. He's for patriotism and he's for nationalism. Now this may come as, you know, uh, a unique information to a lot of people, but if you're going to read the Bible, you should read all of it and you should understand it. There is no question that God clearly says definitively, so any Christian that you're talking to, or professor or pastor who's mumbling or babbling, again, no pun intended, about the virtues of globalism and how it will solve, you know, world peace and end war, they've been meditating on John Lennon uh, and his song, When the World Will Be as One. That's what they're thinking about, because the Bible is totally against the global state. It's called Mystery Babylon. Now, Trump is not necessarily a Christian, but he is a champion of Christian principles in Christianity. People who call themselves Christians need to get their heads on straight. The historical example in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is you see example after example how God uses 
a pagan king and a cult king uh, who is not a worshiper of the biblical God. God continually raises up into power pagan kings who are occultic, they're, they're immoral in many respects, um, and he uses these pagan kings to deliver God's people for his purposes. So when you take the story of the prophet Daniel interacting with the empire in the world where his inner court was filled with wizards and sorcerers and Satanists, etc. Talk about sexual immorality. It's a Sunday school picnic uh, what's happening in our nation right now compared to the heavy-duty sexual immorality which was ritualized in ancient Babylon. Yet God raised up the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, to be a deliverer of his people. Another case in point would be Joseph. Joseph was called to be the Pharaoh's advisor. Pharaoh was the head of the Egyptian empire. The people worshipped him as a god under the Pharaoh god-king system. The Pharaoh's court was filled with wizards and sorcerers and Satanists and clairvoyants. And yet Joseph supernaturally interpreted an economic dream uh, that the Pharaoh had, seven years of plenty and seven years of drought. And God used a pagan, immoral king, Pharaoh. He used him and, and raised him up to deliver, again, God's people. So when it comes to Donald Trump, you know, he does not have to be, quote, a born-again Christian. I'd like to see him be a born-again Christian, but he doesn't have to be a born-again Christian. And he doesn't have to be to have the behavior and lifestyle of a Sunday school teacher to be used as God. If, if you would bother to read your Bible, you will see God consistently raises up pagan rulers, uh, you know, very earth, earthy, worldly men to, to deliver his people. So if you're determining uh, Trump's spirituality and whether or not God is using Trump, based on a locker room statement he made, then to be quite blunt, you're a fool. You're a fool for analyzing Trump's true motives based on locker room statements that he made that, yes, were vulgar. I don't approve of the vulgarity. But do you think the king of Babylon wasn't vulgar? you think the king of uh, Pharaoh wasn't vulgar? I'm not promoting vulgarity, but God chose Donald Trump for this reason. He had the tenacity, the guts, to stand up for truly biblical principles that most Christians didn't even know were important. Without Trump, most Christians would still be in, in the fog of their mind, not knowing why globalism is evil. They would still be uh, in some kind of hypnotic state regarding the trade treaties. They would still not understand that trade treaties are for the destruction of the United States and the destruction of our economy. It's Trump, a secular politician who's not necessarily a Christian, who made these uh, economic platforms of critical interest to the average person. Most Christians were asleep to the reality and the dangers of globalism and trade trees. And finally, he's challenged climate change, which he should have. It's the climate change is nothing more than a made-up scientific theory for the purpose of a one-world government. That's all it is. And then Trump challenged the whole world by recognizing Jerusalem as the, the capital city of Israel 
and he, he stood against the entire corrupt pseudo-global government, the United Nations. Trump, in incident after incident, is a true champion. He is the greatest champion of Christian values, Christian liberties, and Christian freedoms. Trump is the greatest promoter and champion of the right of Christians to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ that has ever occupied the White House. People need to understand that. Christians are confused about whether Trump is good or bad. But let me tell you something. The powerful, evil, Luciferian elite, the occult globalists, and the enemies of the gospel, they don't have the luxury of a confused mind. They see very clearly that Trump is the greatest threat to their globalist agenda of any person on planet Earth. As such, they will do whatever it takes to destroy him, either kill him or remove him from office. So how is it that globalists who are in the occult and are Luciferian clearly see Trump as their greatest threat to their satanic agenda, and Christians are walking around bewildered, wondering what whether Trump is being used of God by not, or not. Trump is being used by God. One of the first things he did when he got in office is he passed legislation to protect churches to preach the truth. So God has given us a champion. He's not perfect, but God has given us a champion. That champion is Donald Trump. He represents a reprieve. If we fail to watch his back, if we fail to pray for him and stand for what is right, I just want to remind your listeners briefly, and I'll say this very quickly, in the story of the watchman in the Old Testament, the watchman's job was to look out from his tower, and if he saw the enemy coming to invade God's people in the distance, the watchman's job was to blow a trumpet loud and clear, the shofar, to wake up God's people who were often sleeping so that God's people would rouse themselves in time to defeat the enemy when the enemy finally got close because it was not God's will that his people would be destroyed in a bloodbath. But the job of a watchman was so serious to God that God said to the watchman, and there are many watchmen in our world today, both secular and Christian, the Hagman program functions as a watchman, and there are other, other, other sources of watchmen. God was so serious in his uh, admonishment to the watchman, he said, if you fall asleep, and you fail to pay attention, and you do not see the enemy coming in the distance, and you fail to warn my people and wake them up by blowing the trumpet, then I will hold their blood upon your hands, watchmen. I will hold their slaughter upon your hands. You will be accountable for their death, watchmen. And then the Lord said this to the watchmen. He said, but if you are faithful, watchmen, and you see the enemy coming from the distance, and you are faithful, and you're alert, you're sober and alert, and you're watching, and you notice the enemy's coming from a distance, and you blow the shofar, and you blow the trumpet, and you do everything in your power to wake up God's people so they can rouse themselves and protect themselves and not be slaughtered. But if, but if my people choose to ignore your repeated warnings and the trumpet blasts, if my people refuse to hear and acknowledge your warnings, and go back to sleep, the Lord said to the watchman. Then when the enemy comes in and there's and my people are slaughtered in a bloodbath, he said, I will hold the blood of my people 
upon their hands and the leaders they chose to are in America. God has raised up watchmen, both secular and Christian, news sources, leaders, and they're speaking, uh, communicating. They're not blowing a literal trumpet, but they're speaking with their mouth. They're saying there's great danger coming. There's great danger coming, and, and, and both of you do this daily. There's great danger coming. And if you don't rouse yourselves, and you don't properly prepare yourselves, and you don't act intelligently and decisively, if you refuse to ignore the warnings by, by saying in your mind, oh, it can't happen here, oh, it can't happen here, and you choose to follow leaders, spiritual leaders who lull you to sleep, or political leaders who lie to you, or a media that lulls you to sleep, then when the concentration camps come, then when the UN troops come, and the Chinese troops come, and the Russian troops come, they will have no love for Americans, and they'll knock down your doors, rape your women, blow your heads off. I'm just telling you how it is. It's this way in every revolution, it's this way in every occupation. We've been immune to it. But just crack open any history book and read carefully what happens when an invading army invades a nation. Women are raped. Children are raped. They're slaughtered. They're tortured. They're treated with, with unspeakable abominations. That is the end game when you allow a U.N. army. Blue helmet or no blue helmet. You have people who have no affinity, no love for the United States. They're going to be watching over you with guns. And they'll take your freedom, they'll take your life. And, it, and you will weep and sob in convulsions as if they spare your life and take you to a re-education camp. You will be sobbing and convulsing in tears. And what you will remember as you're convulsing in tears, if only... If only I had not allowed myself to enter into this mental state of it can't happen here. If only I had chosen not to deafen my ears to the warning and I chose to be the man or woman of God that I was supposed to be, we would never have entered this mess. Well, it sure is a mess, Paul, and you, you covered a lot of ground there. And one thing I want uh, I wanted to ask you before we went to the break last hour, um, you mentioned the U.N. again. Well, I, I have a, I, I don't know why, but anymore I think if, depending on how, I don't see the UN as any kind of powerful organization. I, I tend to think anymore if the UN was rolling around on the streets of America, they'd probably all get killed, uh, depending, they don't have an army. They don't, I mean, you know, aside from, what, 50 to a couple hundred, uh, troops positioned in strategic locations here or there, they don't have the personnel to roll that out. I mean, they could hire, foreign military personnel but either way uh this whole situation with trump what what they're really trying to do is, is exactly what you say they're trying to take him out of office and they're trying to cause that that chaos and you know with the, this whole thing that's going on in in this atmosphere in dc and in the media even with the Mueller investigation which i wanted to, to touch on this because you mentioned if trump fires Mueller, and i just read what you referenced about um People are stuffing hot chocolates in sleeping bags in different towns, preparing for protests in case Trump fires Mueller. I, I'm starting to think that this is what they're they're pushing for. They actually want Trump to fire Mueller because if he does, that would be the ammunition that they needed for impeachment. Not that they're going to find any in the Mueller investigation, so they're trying to to push towards that goal. But either way, however, if they do try to remove Trump or, or are successful in removing Trump, 
will there be well, social unrest, I guess is the question. Will the silent majority go out and protest? Because these aren't the kind of people who do that. Um, right. Well, you're asking a very good question. It's simply a matter of strategy. <clears throat> they could win either way. Like you said, the, the firing of Mueller could be the, the trigger that's necessary. And we have to remember, people always say, well, where do all these demonstrators come from? They're getting paid a minimum of 25 to $50 a day to demonstrate. They're being paid by these wealthy activist groups. And so they want to, they, they do. Look what happened with the race riots, Ferguson, Missouri, and all that stuff, how they just erupted. Uh, the group that's organizing is MoveOn.org, which is a Soros-financed front group. Um, these are professionally trained um, organizers, and they have they're, they're heavily financed. So, um, whether it's it's theater, the riots in the street, because the media made it seem like all of America was burning down, that millions of people were involved in, mm-hmm. in violent riots. You know, they created an illusion. So. Well, you're right. Just on the basis of creating an illusion of, of riots all across America, uh, that illusion gives you the pretense to to in, to install some kind of martial martial law. And and what I described is a worst case scenario. And it doesn't really even have to be the UN. The UN could be the token troops, but then you have troops from militant Islamic countries. You have. You know, our borders have been wide open on purpose. They, they just discovered, I'm sure you're aware of it, that a million votes uh, were voted illegally in the presidential election. A million votes were illegally cast by illegal uh, immigrants who sneaked across the border. So they're rigging the uh, uh, voting system by allowing uh, people who want a socialist government to come across the border and just like in Europe, which is also controlled by the globalist elite, they're flooding the United States. All across the United States, you can go to small towns in North Dakota. You can go to small towns in, in, in Utah. You have these uh, growing Islamic populations from uh, militant extremist uh, Islamic nations. And despite the fact that Trump has gotten rid of a lot of some of these uh, gangs, these vicious gangs, what is it, MS-13 or something? Yeah. Um, you have gangs, they're armed, they're armed better. So you rouse these people up, you could create quite a bit of chaos, even if the, the UN technically was inept. You know, there's, there's, uh, it's, it's a danger because the people that are control, the people who are supposed to be controlling the military for our behalf, um, their motives and their agenda—they they want to, they want to turn America into the world socialist or the world communist state, which has been the plan of, of the globalist elite for the last hundred years. Because socialism and communism is not about wealth redistribution or social justice or a workers' paradise. It's simply a con game, which gives the elite total control over all the natural resources, total control over all, gives the elite a political structure. Communism and Marxism and socialism is nothing more than an organizational political structure that the elite use for total control. That way the elite get total ownership of the natural resources, total ownership of the people, 
and total right to exploit the people as slaves for manufacturing and for whatever else. So um, that is, you know, the short story of what communism and Marxism and socialism is all about. It's never been about helping the poor and downtrodden. It's always been a stealth maneuver to give uh, globalist wealthy elite total control over the people and the resources of any given nation. A slave state. Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. And you know, that's why that- they really want to legalize pot. But look, quite frankly, to me, um, you know, except for the driving problems and stuff like that, to me, pot has the same basic dangers as alcohol. Except, pot does have a. Uh, it makes people passive, and I know this. I'm an ex hippie, and I hung around a lot of potheads, and potheads were always passive. So if you want a lot of people grinning with the munchies, uh, and Soros knows this, that's why he's financing the legalization of marijuana. It's, it's, it's a great way to stupefy the population. Well, Paul, uh, what you just said, you made me remember something I wanted to talk bring up after you, you mentioned the fluoride and when we were talking about the low-information voters. Because I wanted to ask you this. All of us have been, really been exposed to these uh, chemicals, the fluoride, the the additives in the food. So, is it? Would you say it's just that uh, people are affected differently by it, um, or is it just you know also is that just playing a partial role in their underdevelopment and, and wanting to know what's going on in reality? Uh, is it also their passion or lack thereof that leads to them not caring what what's going on in the real world? Because I, I, as much as I do believe the chemicals. Yeah, that's a very powerful question, and um, I want to respect your your break schedule. So, if, oh, if you want to get good. back to it, okay. Until I, the I, would, end of the hour. I would. Okay, I would say this: um, people have to understand that to, the it's, it's so simple. The way to be more intelligent, the way to be smarter, is to simply think. I know that sounds like 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 nutty talk. If, you, if every person would start to think, in other words, what, what you see on television, it may drive you crazy at first, but you see something on television, a political message, or, or, or just start with a TV commercial, or listen to somebody's conversation. Instead of just accepting it at face value, think about it. Process it in your mind. Say to yourself, this is a commercial for, uh, I don't want to be vulgar, but it's always on Fox News. I think it's, it's a commercial for an erectile dysfunction drug, okay? So think about that and ask yourself the question, why there's a married, apparently a married couple probably in their late 50s or 60s, and they're sitting in separate bathtubs outside with the grass, and there's just this beautiful golden kind of sunset. Now, instead of just looking at the ad and noticing what the pharmaceutical is for, ask yourself the question, why are why is there a male and female actress sitting in separate bathtubs outdoors with the grass? Because that picture of the couple in the bathtubs outside in the grass your subconscious mind knows exactly what that means. Your conscious mind is puzzled. Your subconscious mind knows exactly what it means. So you begin to think about that. You, you, you begin you begin to question 
And the more you think, and it's like an exercise, um, every time you think, you create new neurological pathways. The more neurological pathways you have, the smarter, more intelligent, and perceptive you become. You're right. The reason people who are very passionate and who are driven and who are inquisitive and have a thirst and hunger for knowledge um, can be more intelligent, but also, as, as you uh, inferred, they also have a, because of those attributes, they have a, a natural resistance to the effects of toxins and pollutants in creating Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that. And the reason for that is, if you were to compare their brains with the average brain, they have billions of more neurological pathways, okay? So if there's a fluoride or other toxins in the water or their system, their brains don't shut down as quickly because there's so many alternative routes for the brain to think in. So a very powerful safeguard from Alzheimer's and dementia and things like that is to begin thinking. And the beautiful thing about God's creation of the brain is you can reboot your intelligence uh, at any time in your life. And um, I talk about this in Conquering the Matrix. People don't like classical music, but they should expose themselves to classical music probably initially 30... I don't like classical music, but expose yourself to classical music and your children especially. Just try it for 30 minutes a week. In that 30 minutes, you will build all kinds of neurological uh, uh, pathways that will make you more intelligent and perceptive. Now, they've done studies. Hip-hop music, certain kinds of rock and roll, and rap, you know, has this, this repetitive, hypnotic, very simplistic beat. Okay, it's like a hypnotic, but it, it, the beat is so simple. Okay, well that creates only a handful of neurological pathways. So the actual beat of the music in hip hop, uh, rap, and, and certain kinds of rock and roll like heavy metal, it, that music's actually making you more stupid, and you don't even realize it. The com it's the complexity. It's the fact that classical music is performed with like violins, cellos, pianos, you know, such a complexity of notes, it causes the neurological uh, pathways in your brain to greatly expand. Instead of just going to a baseball game or a football game, force yourself, no matter how much you dislike it, to go to a museum and expose yourself. If you constantly expose your mind to new things, read books. I read books on nuclear physics, quantum mechanics, uh, biology, ice of this very subject. How to remove the toxins in the brain and where did they come from? And I discovered, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading and looking at YouTubes with lectures on advanced molecular biology and finding out that the primary trigger mechanism for like hundreds of diseases comes from the genetically modified uh, foods, And then I studied even further and found out the exact enzymes and components that can remove these uh, uh, toxins from the body and the mind and keep you from getting Alzheimer's and dementia. Now, look, I am no expert on nuclear physics and quantum physics, 
I am no expert on, on microbiology. I speed read it. I read it and I get what I can from it. So let's say I'm reading it and I really only understand, let's say I only understand like 25 to 30% at best, okay? Let's say I only understand 10%. But by speed reading a book on micro, uh, microbiology, uh, quantum uh, physics and stuff like that, by speed reading it, I'm exposing my mind to it. And what that does, even though I don't understand it, I'm opening and creating neurological pathways. And so by repetition over a period of years and months of reading things way beyond my normal level and training, all of a sudden my brain grows itself at that level. And anybody listening can do the same thing. But, if, but you see, if you're going to isolate your experiences and your perception to just, a, you know, baseball, football, a couple of TV shows, you know, a six-pack of whatever your favorite beer is, your, brain, your brain's going to shrink. It's like you say, oh, I don't understand the Bible. You don't have to understand the Bible. Just read it from Genesis to Revelation. Take your time, read it. Don't worry about understanding it. And as you read it, from Genesis to Revelation, and you're not going to understand a whole lot of it, but you keep at it, you'll wake up one day, and all of a sudden, you will understand all kinds of stuff. Because, you see, part of your brain, you, you consciously were not aware of the fact that your brain was growing. Your brain was teaching itself how to understand the Word of God. But you had to just read it, and it was like reading hieroglyphics or reading Chinese. It didn't make a whole lot of sense to you. But one day you woke up and it made a lot of sense. Am I communicating properly on this? Because it's a very powerful principle. Yeah, no, you are, Paul. And, and you know, it's funny, it made me laugh when you're talking about reading books on, on quantum mechanics or quantum physics because I'm thinking we're talking about how to get people to pay attention to the news. And that might work <laughs> for you, Paul, but I don't see the average person even... Uh, uh, attempting something like that, but no, I, I understand well, me, what you mean. Let, let me share a secret, though. Okay, do well, I have sure. a couple of minutes to share a secret? Okay, yeah. You're talking to a guy, okay, that once upon a time was dropping acid, was looking for ecstasy, was actually taking ecstasy, selling ecstasy, always looking for the ultimate high. You know, the typical counterculture hippie. You know. Uh, and on the cosmic quest, okay? So I like highs, okay? I hate, I hate boredom, okay? To this day. Now, when I say I like highs, I'm not dropping acid secretly, but I like highs. Guess what? They discovered that in the brain, the ability to remember, your mind's ability to remember is built on you're looking at something, and the reason you can remember it 10 years later or 5 years later or a complex subject is because when you're looking at this information that you're supposed to remember, you can train your brain, and it will release. I hope people pay attention really carefully. It will release the exact same bio, biochemical mix that and rush you would get if you were to take cocaine if you were to have a sexual experience, and I'll be very reserved about that, because that releases a flood of biochemicals. So what they discovered is that the same biochemicals that give you a high, either through drugs or, or you know, sex or, or 
bungee jumping off uh, off uh, you know a bridge or you know people who do these like high danger extreme sports they get that rush that chemical rush that chemical rush the dopamine the um um serotonin uh and a whole bunch uh, the acetylcholine a whole bunch of chemicals come together the same chemicals that give you a rush are released when you learn to become turned on by what appears to be a boring subject. You see, when you analyze the chemistry of the brain, there's a direct correlation between what people remember, what people can think about, and the release of the exact same chemicals that come into the brain when they get high or have some kind of rush experience. So the rush experience, the high experience, that floods your brain with oxytoxins and all kinds of feel-good rush chemicals are the exact same chemical components that create super memory. And now, now I know that I'm losing some people here, okay, but there's probably a lot of people who do stuff because they like the rush, okay, they like the high. Some people gamble. It's destructive. But they, they do stuff because they want that rush, and their body the biochemistry in their body will release those rush chemicals. A mother, when she breastfeeds her child, gets a subtle rush from that biochemistry. It's the, those same chemicals that produce intelligence and memory. So what you have to do, and it's very simple, you teach yourself to turn, you teach yourself to get turned on about a subject you think is boring. Now, I liked Led Zeppelin when I was growing up because they were the most intense rock and roll band that I ever heard, and I I don't listen to Led Zeppelin a whole lot now, but they still are, you know, leaps and bounds uh, beyond contemporary groups because their music produced a rush, okay? If people would... You can approach... Look, to me, my initial reaction to quantum physics and, and microbiology and macroeconomics on a global level my initial gut reaction with boredom, oh, this is horrible, this is torture, I'd rather have my fingernails pulled out by an interrogator with pliers, okay? That was my initial reaction. But I got rid of, see, that's negative programming. The idea in your mind that you think learning, uh, what you think is a difficult subject, is you have been programmed to think that been programmed as a firewall to keep you from truth and power. You've been programmed to think that learning is dull and monotonous and boring. That's what the scientific dictatorship does. It, it programs you and, and you hit a firewall so you won't move past it because you think, oh, this is boring and monotonous. But if you learn to break through the firewall and you learn that it is possible to get turned on. I'm talking about flat out stoned and high from reading quantum physics, macroeconomics, it'll revolutionize your life. And I know people are saying, oh, that's him. He's weird. He's a geek. He's a nerd. No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a once, uh, many years ago, ex-hippie who dropped acid, took every drug he could get his hands off, meditated, you know, I was looking for the ultimate rush. I, I'm not into boredom. I, I'm, like, allergic to boredom. So I just hope I can impart this. If your listeners can transcend that firewall, it's a matrix that's been planted in your head, that learning this stuff is boring, 
that's an illusion. It's not boring. You see, you're believing the illusion, and as long as you believe the illusion, you're going to be trapped in a matrix prison, which will keep you dumb, because that's the goal of the scientific elite, to keep you dumb and stupid. It's not boring. When you find the truth is exciting. I ho- and this is hard to communicate, but I hope, that's why we wrote, I wrote Conquering the Matrix. I, I just hope I planted a seed out there. Because if people will cross that threshold, they will discover it's more phenomenal than bungee jumping, scuba diving, or whatever gives them a rush. You planted more than a seed. I think you planted a forest. Uh, if, <laughs> I, if you, so. I, I have to say this. If people didn't get that, listen to it again. Uh, save this on archive and go back and listen to it again in, in totality. Because I, I think it's so important to, for people to understand. Uh, I understand what you're referring to. I understand what you're talking about. And maybe it's because we're from the same generation, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, similar paths, similar experiences, although not quite. <laughs> no, I shouldn't even say that. You're, you were leaps and bounds ahead of me in terms of the, uh, uh, uh well, you know, but. Uh, no, I, I, but I get that, and that that circles back to where we are today as a society. I think, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, when I was in college, I, I mean, I took the economics class. It was in a big lecture hall. I, I knew nothing about economics. I was an economic idiot, and that's being kind. So I sit through the first lecture, and. You know, my gut instinct is I'm, I'm, this guy's blowing smoke in my face. This is smoke and mirrors. Now, I know absolutely nothing about economics. So I talked to the professor. I said, I get this sense, professor, you know, I don't know anything about economics, but I get the sense there's, you know, I sat in your class, but I don't know the, the most important thing is, and that is, I don't know what money is and what the purpose of money is or where money came from or how money works. And, and he just smiled, you know, all knowingly. And everybody else, you know, just shook their head and pretended to be interested because they wanted the good grades. But I, I wanted to know, you know, what money is, because that's exciting. This, the stupid stuff he was saying is, is camouflage. But I didn't know it at the time, but I accidentally bumped into a firewall. Because this professor was smart enough to know that his big economic class, which is a required uh, course, um, was designed to conceal the truth about money from the masses of college students who attended this class. You heard nothing about the Federal Reserve, the banking cartel that runs the United States, the fact that they arbitrarily create interest rates and recessions and stuff. You heard nothing about it. He knew. This professor was a brilliant man. He knew he was uh, uh, blowing smoke in everybody's eyes. And he knew that this young, naive, economic idiot uh, somehow stumbled upon him as the Wizard of Oz hiding behind the curtain. So, you know, I flunked that economics course. I never attended it because I couldn't understand it. And you know why I couldn't understand it? The real reason I couldn't understand it, it was a house of cards. It was all built on lies. When I began to study economics for myself and discovered the truth, it was riveting. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you probably had the yeah. same experience. Oh, absolutely. So how did you know? How does economics go from being the most boring course in the world to, to, to me debating leading economists on Fox News and it's riveting? It's because when you find out the truth of economics, that it's a game, it's a spiritual game, it's a master-slave game, it's a, it's a game of like 
debt is a mechanism to create slaves. When you start to understand that, you get high. Why do you get high? Because you're no longer picking cotton on the fields of the master, okay, in the hot sun and getting whipped at night. You understand that the economic system has made you, forced you to pick cotton. And when you understand the, the illusion behind the economic system, you find a doorway to freedom in your own personal life and collectively. When you find out that you don't have to be picking cotton as a slave, that turns you on. You know, what was that thing in that Roots, I'm free at last, or who said that? Great God Almighty, I'm free at last. I don't know. My boy. I don't know. Mark, my dad said Martin Luther King. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we we all have those bumps, mental bumps. You know, when you when you when you talk this deep, and this is pretty deep. But again, folks, Trump apocalypse, the book. It's a fantastic read. It's Paul. Is it still due out on January second? So that that's a yes. Yeah, due out January second. We're waiting for President Trump to, to contact us because we have an inside person that he knows well uh, who's going to deliver the book, but he assures us that the president will read it. We're also sending a copy personally to Pence and Carson and then very powerful Democrats and Republicans. Also, Fantastic. we have two of the biggest, one of the biggest directors and producers in Hollywood who want to either do an episodic on Netflix with it or a feature film, so you know we're we're thankful for that. Yeah, that that would be yeah. awesome, Paul. And we re- I, I received your uh, copy that you sent here uh, to us, and I got it in my hands right now. So thank you so much for that. Can't wait to read it. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for 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 communicating the truth far and wide. And your show is an example of what we're talking about. You talk on a nightly level, far deeper than the fake mainstream news media. Yet people are fleeing the mainstream news media listening to you. Why? Because the, the, the formula is the integrity and the fact that you, you're telling the truth. Listening to people lie to you is very boring. And the truth media can't, can't go deeper. Uh, no, I it mean, can't. Their lies are only uh, one-dimensional, and, and that's all that they can do because they would expose right. themselves if they did go any deeper. That's exactly right. And that's why people listen to you. And and I've met your audience, you know, at a lot of uh, prophecy conferences and stuff. They're all ages, uh, different sexes, different ethnic. They're a very diverse group. But they're very smart people. When you talk to them, they have an amazing grasp of politics, economics, and all kinds of stuff. And that's because they're listening to your program on a regular basis. And your program... Is, is bringing up their awareness level, their perception level, and their educational level or higher and higher and higher. When I talk to people that watch nothing but mainstream uh, news, you know, they're idiot. It's just like talking to an idiot. Even if they're lawyers or whatever, it's like talking to an idiot because they only repeat what they hear on mainstream news, which is empty. You guys have content, and it's that the content, and it's the truth that, that's exciting. So why do people listen to Hagman and Hagman? And why are they not listening to, to 60 Minutes anymore? Because 60 Minutes is hollow. It has no truth. Truth is riveting. Yes, it is. And it's uh, more exciting than any, any of the lies that are produced out there. Paul, we only have about two minutes left. Do you have a, a prayer meeting scheduled? 
Yes, we just finished one, and it, I, we don't have time for this, to, to discuss it, but it was the most powerful meeting we've had in like seven years, and I don't have time to get into it right now. But I do want to encourage people to visit our website, paulmcguire.us, and I, I want people to, 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 to have an expectation that in this spiritual conflict that we're in, that we will prevail, and we're not going down. So if I could just instill that to people... We're not laying down for this, okay? We are going to prevail in this conflict, and President Trump will not be taken out physically or psychologically because there's millions of people that are standing with him in prayer and in legal, peaceful means. So uh, this battle is not over, and defeat is not an option, and I'm, I'm very serious about that. We, we're going to win in the short term here, and then we win in the long term. We do know how the story ends, and, right. and you're, you're exactly right. Trumpocalypse is the book. You know, uh, I, I, I've said this before. It's one of Paul's greatest, or the you know, Paul's greatest works. Uh, but I, I have to say this: I believe Trumpocalypse is probably the the most enlightening, informative, current events, insightful book I've read. And I've uh, I had a leg up on Joe. Um, I snagged the the studio copy that came in first. I grabbed it. I just just I just yeah I, I ravaged that book. And I've got I've got to say that that what's in that book is so important for what's taking place in in in, in current times, uh, whether it be the well across the spectrum. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and, and I'm sure and and I, and I do know. I think. It, kind of a left-handed way. I, I kind of know your channels um, to the presidency, to the president Donald Trump. Very interesting, and, and I have every reason to believe that this is going to be uh, read with extreme interest as well in the inside the White House, and that's exciting to me. That really. Well, is. we we we've heard, and I'm not just making this up as hype. We've heard from many people who have read the book that they believe the book has the power to to change the course of, of the nation. And I know that's like, like, like a very potentially boastful statement, but I look at that as the grace of God, <clears throat> that this book does have the power to change the course of the, of the nation because it, because it contains a narrative based on the conversation we had of where our country came from. It integrates the Bible, what's happening. But sometimes people need to write this down in a, in a narrative so it, it, it moves forward uh, people and helps organize people mentally. Okay, <clears throat> so you have to sometimes have a, a narrative written down. So I believe this book has the power to change a nation. Ultimately, it's God and what we do that has the power to change a nation. But this book is a tool for uh, uh, doing exactly the kinds of things we discussed in your program. Amen. Paulmcguire.us is the website. Trumpocalypse is the book. Paul, thank you so much for the great interview. God bless you, gentlemen. Stay strong. God bless you, you as too. well. Sir. Merry Christmas and have a great evening. You too. Bye bye. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. What about the? Welcome back to this third and final hour on this Thursday, December twenty-first edition of the Hagman Report. Coming up in this hour, uh, we're going to be joined by somebody who's been on once, Dr. David Berman. He is uh, the founder of the Christian Life Fellowship. 
and he's the founder of several churches, and he's been on several uh, TV and radio interviews heard by millions around the world. He uh, has a number of degrees in, uh, he's a doctorate in theology, as well as many others, and we're going to be talking with him on a number of important current event issues from uh, taxes to abortion to the state of the church in America. When we were talking with Paul McGuire last hour, we were uh, discussing the Robert Mueller investigation and the possibility of Trump firing Mueller and the backlash that uh, that would bring. But today on Fox News Channel, America's newsroom, White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders reiterated that President Trump has no intention of firing Special Counsel, Counsel Robert Mueller saying we are continuing to work closely and cooperate with them. We look forward to seeing this hoax wrap up very soon. That was the statement she gave. Uh, meanwhile, Jeff Sessions, the, well, the Department of Justice, is looking into reopening the Uranium One, uh, the improprieties there, illegalities there. I want to ask you about that, because yeah. he didn't say it was an investigation. He said they're going to start interviewing FBI agent. No, what is it, a matter, not an investigation? <laughs> well, that's what the, no article or no publication actually identified it. It was only Sessions was going to interview FBI agents right. pertaining to Uranium One. Nothing about investigation. Where I come from, that that's an investigation. Right, right. All right. And they can call it whatever they want. They can call it a matter. They can call it an inquiry, you know. An ordeal. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, but look... If you want, I mean, perhaps the the biggest, the the most egregious of all things is the uranium one, and, and I'm amazed. Well, I shouldn't say amazed, but uh, I just get very tired when I look at um, places such as uh, uh, what is it, Politifact or Fact Check or whatever it is. These fact checking sites. Oh, this is debunked. This is widely de- debunked. No, it hasn't been. And and this is something that goes all the way up to Obama. This is something that get, gets well into the Clinton Foundation. Charles Ortel talks about this. Others talk about this. This involves Rosenstein. This involves all of the players that currently are assembled to assail Donald Trump uh, politically. The political assassination that is attempted by Mueller it involves Mueller himself. The, the the money men that the hit men the bag men the um, this involves Clinton in a big way the Clinton Foundation in a huge way Frank Schuster from Canada and I'm and I'm really tired too of of this well you know it's it's a fairy tale to believe that any uranium was uh, left the United States uh, okay really. No, we've got the documentation that uranium did, was transported out of the United States. And how these sites can get away with these falsities and falsehoods, it's absolutely beyond me. But apparently, that's what Americans, or at least, you know, 49% of Americans or half of Americans want to believe. And it's my belief that a lot of this uranium actually made its way. We don't, well, we don't know where, but it's feasible that it could have gone to Iran and ultimately North Korea. But this is also reminiscent, and I would urge people to look this up, of the Lend-Lease program under FDR and then under Truman during World War II, specifically under Truman after the atomic bomb um, and into the McCarthy era, the um, 
extension of what was known as the Lend-Lease Program to the Soviet Union or to Soviet Russia at that time, that, that this is not anything new. This is cozying up to the, uh, the socialist, Marxist, communist uh, players. So we, we've got, look, there's nothing new under the sun here. Different faces, different names, same tactics. And this is what we're seeing. So, um, and Diana West does a great job of exposing this as well on her book Betrayal, as I've talked about before, the Lend-Lease program that is, and of course the uh, sale of nuclear secrets by the Rosenbergs who were executed. And on my t- personal Twitter feed, I've I've pinned that tweet of uh, Hillary Clinton and, and uh, Ethel Rosenberg. If you don't know who the if you don't know who Ethel Rosenberg is, look it up. But I'm telling you right now, it's. So in my view, anyway, in my personal view, it is the same uh, mo. It's the same, except Hillary. That was just overt self enrichment. With right. uh, Rosenberg, it was the covert spying. Well, I like uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders' use of the word hoax when talking about the Mueller investigation. We have our guest with us, Reverend Damon David Berman. Uh, he has a doctorate in theology from the Christian Bible College of Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. He's been active in ministry since 1985. He's also a public speaker. Uh, Dr. Berman, welcome back to the Hagman Report. Hey, it is great to be with you, brother. So I'm, I'm excited to be here with you. Well, we're excited to have you. You're a public speaker. We're not. So um, you might as well just superintend the program. That's uh, that's good. Let, let's cover the waterfront uh, in terms of... Um, What's taking place right now, if you don't mind, uh, unless you've got something else in mind, but apply. Well, I'll just take a look at what, you know, everything taking place and kind of looking at this through the lens of, of, um, a Christian worldview, uh, you know, or, or just add some, let's try to add some sense to what we're seeing, I guess. If you don't are mind. we talking specifically about the uranium one thing, or are we talking about the tax? What are we talking about particularly? Hey, uh, you pick. We got so many topics. Up yeah, there. we before you came on, we were talking about uh, a little bit about the Mueller investigation as well yeah. as uh, in, into Uranium One. Yeah, obviously the Mueller investigation is a total joke. It's an absurd joke. Uh, for the whole country, um, if anybody has half a brain, they know the country is now corrupt. I mean, the government is completely corrupt. You can trust nobody, no agency. They're all they're rogue. They do what they want to do. The BLM does what it wants to do. The FBI does what it wants to do. The CIA does what it wants to do. <laughs> There's no control. There's no oversight. There's no congressional oversight. They can, Congress is a joke. Um, they, you know, they subpoena information. They don't get it from the FBI, and they don't even do anything about it. And they, they, what are they doing? They're doing nothing. So, I mean, my friends, look. Here's the bottom line: the government is completely corrupt. You've got obviously a few people in there trying to do the right thing. The president's trying to do the right thing. Um, doesn't mean I agree with him on everything, but he's trying to do the right thing. But the government's completely corrupt. And it's uranium one thing. Would you, does anybody think Hillary's going to go to jail? No, not at all. Never. She's never going to jail. He's doing the investigation because he has to. Because it's so, it's so disgusting what this woman did. It's so obvious that she sold out her country and she should be shot for what she did in a firing squad because that's what you do to traitors. 
but they'll never do anything to her because she's an elitist and she knows where the, bury, the bodies are buried. And that's just the way it is in government. The elitists are never going to suffer. If anything happens, it's going to be some, uh, you know, somebody three or four levels down the line is going to take one, you know, take one for the for the team, you know, fall on the sword as it were. Uh, but y- these people like Bill Clinton, um, Hillary Clinton, Obama, these people are just going to do whatever they want, and they're never going to get in trouble for it. It's just total corruption, my friends. Total corruption. The tree has rotted fruit. No, you're exactly right. Now, and the question that we seem to have each and every night uh, is, one, how do you get uh, the American people to understand this when half of them don't even care, the other half believe the lies that they're told? And then how do you fix it when... You have, you know, the people who are who are put in positions of power who are supposed to fix these matters are the ones who are involved in the corruptions and corrupt themselves. Well, I think that the, if you look to our founding fathers, you'll understand what what's happened. Our founding fathers never envisioned a country where you had the government uh, elitist and the people uninformed. They envisioned a government where we had a certain understanding of our philosophical position of individual liberty given by God, of the right to your own labor, and uh, if your money belongs to you, and I can go down the list, now we're living in a time where most of the population has been dumbed down by plan uh, by the elite over the last 40 years. So now most kids graduating today don't, don't even know what the Civil War was fought over. They don't even know who we fought over against to gain our independence. I mean, there is an absolute ignorance in so many young people today, not because they're unintelligent, but because they're ignorant. They've not been taught. They've been taught the opposite of our worldview as a nation. And so why are we surprised when you, for 40 years, are teaching children, you know, not to even do math properly, that two plus two doesn't equal four if you don't want it to? I mean, you get a trophy for not just for just participating. I mean, we've completely destroyed the moral foundation and the philosophical foundation, and I'll say to you, I mean, this might shock some of you, but in some ways the philosophical uh, foundation is more important than the moral foundation. Please let me explain. Because without the philosophical foundation, you won't have the practice of the moral foundation. You see, the reason why the nation was moral, no one was perfect. We always had sin. We're sinners. We need a savior. But the nation had much more morals was because we had a philosophical understanding that God is watching us and we have to govern ourselves rather than have a tyrannical government govern us. But now, so many people are looking to government as God, government as daddy. And I'm telling you right now, we're destroying our country and the church has a lot of blood on its hands because it's had no guts no willingness to stand up for pro-life, hardly at all. you got guys like me that will do it, but very few of us. And we're running around wondering why our country's going to hell. It's going to hell because we've turned our back on God. The church is a joke in America today. We don't hold to the scriptures anymore. We allow feminism and all kinds of craziness to come into the church, and we wonder why the church is weak. I'm telling you, my friend, I can speak prophetically, and all I get from the church people, not my church, but most church people, is I get sworn at, I get called names just for the things I'm saying right now. But I would say this to them. Show me where I'm wrong in the scriptures. Show me. You know, it seems that uh, anymore the scriptures, depending on the church or denomination, can be twisted and reprinted to say certain things or to not say certain things. And it, it seems as though 
not most Christ, real Christians, but many of the people who who just go to church on a, on a regular basis and and that's as much as they do, don't even know what what's in the Bible. And how do you? Yeah, that's true. That's true. They don't know what's in the Bible. And, and how 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 can you teach and and how? But still, people want to believe and they act like they still know what's best. Well, because what happens? So messed up. It's totally messed up, and you know, there used to be a sense of you know what we call hermeneutics. These ba- basic principles of biblical interpretation that we use—they're very important principles. We use these principles when we're looking at, in some ways, at any ancient document. That there's certain principles, and when you look and you you draw from the scriptures. That's called an exegesis. What people want to do is they want to eisegete. They want to put in the scriptures and make the scriptures say what they want it to say. And I will tell your audience. I'll be the first one to admit that I don't like everything I read in the Bible. Sometimes the Bible convicts me of my own sin and my own wrong attitudes. Guess what? That's what it's supposed to do. So what we do now is we've we've created churches where they're just like an entertainment center or some kind of philosophical position with a little, you know, maybe Christianese thrown in there, and there's very little actual solid strong Bible teaching about the family, about the role of men and women, about the role of children, about how we're supposed to raise our children, about finances, about anything. We've got a bunch of chuckleheads running around, don't know anything about the scriptures, and they're telling everybody all these new things that they're coming up with. The scripture is not new. It's the same Jesus, the same scripture, and the same devil we're fighting. And it's the same Gnostic nonsense that happened during a time when the scriptures were coming out, the New Testament was being written, when they were dealing with Gnosticism, we're dealing with that mindset in the world today. Everybody thinks they're on this high plane, higher than the Bible. They're up, they think they've got it all figured out with, with secular humanism and political correctness, and they can identify as a different sex, and now they're identifying as aliens. People have gone insane, my friend. They've gone insane. They're off, they're, they're nuts. And we have a church today, in many cases, not all, there are a lot of good churches, thank God, but in many cases we have churches today that are unwilling to stand for the gospel because the pastors don't realize they are supposed to speak the word of God no matter what. Even if they're going to be fired, you speak the word of God no matter what. And if they fire you, they fire you. But you have guts as a man of God or get out of the ministry. Amen. And I get sick of saying this, but you know we talk about how it seems you know, the church has conformed to the world exclusively and, and shy away from the Bible anymore. So they uh, are able to keep their congregations as they see whole and and continue to raise you know their quota in money. And uh, there's so much with, with uh, you talked about the Gnosticism, and we can add the New Age to that, and all these uh, different types of religions that we see with the. Uh, cable news and the internet from ancient aliens to uh, all the way to the, the Luciferians in the Church of Satan. And then, right. uh, I, I don't know where this thought came from, but atheism. You know, we we see a lot of uh, people who claim to be atheists, but the sentiment that atheists seem to have is a hatred only for Christianity and nothing else. So I don't even know if we can classify that as atheism. But we've been yeah. talking on this show this whole week about the spiritual roots that drive these hateful and evil people uh, in all parts of society, specifically the ones we see in the entertainment and news media, who just hate anything good. They're opposed to anything that will make our country better. Uh, they hate Donald Trump just because. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a spiritual condition in its core because these people all have the same mindset. 
Yes, there's no question about it. I mean, the, the spiritual condition of the country is a disaster. And the elitists, it's funny, you know, no matter how much we fall off the cliff, no matter how much the family's destroyed, no matter how much people are on opiates, no matter how much people are on prescription drugs that are messing with their head, no matter what, no matter, no matter how much domestic abuse there is, no matter how much child abuse there is, no matter how much of anything there is, these crazy people want to keep going the same exact way. They double down no matter what the results is. And I'm telling you, there can only be one explanation. And Jesus gave the explanation. He said the thief, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the left in this country, and when I say the left, that includes many Republicans. Many Republicans are Republican in name only. In fact, most of them are. The left in this country has destroyed the moral fiber of this country, destroyed the philosophical fiber of this country, and has continued to push for more and more centralized power and more and more governance of your thoughts and your speech. And they will continue to do that as long as we allow them to. That's why I refuse to be told what I can say anywhere it comes to preaching on the radio or I'm, I'm in the public square or I'm on, on the pulpit. Nobody... Nobody, including the IRS, FBI, CIA, or anybody else, is going to tell this preacher what he can preach from the pulpit. And we have a bunch of preachers that are afraid because they're afraid of losing their job. And if you look at your ministry as a job that you're afraid to lose, then you need to get out. Because the ministry is not for sale. If my church doesn't want the Word of God, they got the wrong pastor and they can tell me and I'll leave. But I'm not going to dumb down the scriptures because I'm worried about my job. Not doing it. I never have, and I never will. And I will tell you, if pastors in this country would stand up, we'd see this country turn around. If the church would stand up, this country would turn around. It's not a political solution, my friend. There is no political solution. No, that's right. And uh, the blame also lays with the congregations because, uh, obviously, if these pastors who are continuing to twist the scripture are becoming more and more prevalent in in the church the congregations are not they don't know the scripture and they're not holding their pastor accountable and that blame is just as much on their feet as it is the pastors well that's true but i think what's happened though my friend is that you know earlier you said they wanted to they want to do this to keep people in their church well i think they want to keep their job um they're afraid of the people in the church that control their paycheck the truth of the matter is these these liberal churches are dying. They're not increasing. They're dying. The churches that are increasing are churches that preach the gospel, that have guts. My church is full every morning. I'm in the most liberal area of the state, of the most liberal area of the country. I mean, I am the lo- in the lowest churched area of the lowest church state in the nation. And I've won... In my ministry here, I've won over a thousand people to Christ just myself in my ministry. It's not because I'm somebody special. It's simply because I preach the gospel. And if men of God would be men of God and believe the gospel and preach it with conviction, they would see things change. It's not going to change from a political solution or being a wimp, ever. It never will. Amen to that. And and I like that, and I think that that's uh, you know we need that in America today because 
at, at the at the core of everything we're seeing, that's where we are bankrupt. That's where the the void exists, I believe, in it, in the larger sense. I mean, tell me, brother. I mean, who who thinks who really believes? What what patriot, Christian patriot, knows the word of God, understands what's going on, actually believes there's a political solution to this? If you have a country that is sick from its inside out because the population does not serve God anymore, largely, you can't fix it with a political solution. Now, look, Trump passed his tax cut. He's deregulated. Certainly, we have a good chance of seeing a lot of economic growth. But that's not going to save the nation. Money will not save the nation. No. Freedom doesn't come from money. Freedom comes from conviction and a willingness to fight for it. I mean, I don't know why people think you're going to, you know, I, I, don't get me wrong. And some of your listeners might get mad at me for this. But Trump is not the savior. And I voted for Donald Trump. And I support Donald Trump, basically. Not everything, but basically. Um, but he's not going to fix the country. He can only bring about what he can bring about. The nation has to repent, my friend. And those listening, listen to me, Christian. You have to repent. We must repent as a nation. The church must repent. If we don't do it, the country will fail. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter whether you have economic growth or not. Eventually, the, the country will fail. Because the country, that is gonna, if it starts worshiping money, which has been happening, you're going to see happen what has happened. We will lose our blessing. We will not gain it. We gain our blessing by being right before God and repenting before God, not thinking that some politician is going to save us because no politician is going to save us. That's right. No, you're precisely correct. And, and yeah, um, who I've spoken to who believes that one man, Donald Trump, can change, you know, make the changes necessary. I think that it's a systemic problem. Yeah, that's unrealistic expectations. Yep. yep. And he's right, a, exactly. I mean, as much as he, as we want him in there, you know, to change yep. as, as much as possible, he's also just a placeholder to keep someone like Hillary Clinton out. But fortunately, he has been doing things that have been helping America. And I want to get your opinion on, on this, Reverend, the, the tax cuts yesterday. Um, and the you know I see here in the email that that you sent you say who who does the money belong to is it the government's money or is it the individual's money and you know that's a, a really good question because you will get uh, both sides of that argument depending on who you ask well you see these morons too like Rosie O'Donnell for example oh. is is one of many morons out there that. Uh, uh, you know, I, look, look I, I really believe, it, in, in my view, personally, personal opinion, couch this, obviously. You know, you talk about, you talk about a, 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 some sort of mental retardation, um, in my view, uh, of the understanding of economics. Uh, oh, my God. That, in, you know, so, but beyond that, well, go ahead. What was the, Joe, what was the question? Or what was the, the, the issue? Uh, the taxes and, and the, the ownership of, of money yeah. in this country. Well, we used to believe that labor belonged to a man or a woman. You, the labor was yours. It belonged to you. This is your... You, you are bartering your labor for something in exchange. Either money or goods, place to live, whatever. And so we've always believed that the government was there to do only what the Constitution says it's supposed to do. And so for most of our history, 
that's how it was. Now, in 1913, we passed the income tax, which is probably one of the worst things we've ever done and something that completely goes against the rest of the Constitution. Um, I can explain that if you'd like me to. Would you like me to explain that? Why it goes against the rest of the Constitution? Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, and, and I think it's it's a good refresher for even yeah. those people who know it. Let, let's okay. go through oh, it. For one, for one, uh, in order to have the income tax, they now can collect taxes from you, excuse me, collect a penalty from you or confiscate your money without due process of law. They can, there's nobody else that can say to you, you owe me money, I'm going to freeze your bank account without due process of law. IRS can do that without due process of law. That's completely and totally against the Constitution. We're supposed to have due process. Then you look at the fact that they can delve into all of your private business, whether you like it or not, and audit everything about you. And that goes against the Constitution, which says we're supposed to be secure in our papers. So the whole thing's a joke. It's a total, uh, it's a destruction of the Constitution. And it's a terrible economic plan or policy. So after 1913, then we get 1914, and then the National Guard is nationalized. It was the State Guard. It was nationalized. So we see from 1939, we really see the progressive movement moving greatly to take away what the country had been up until that point. And now the progressive movement is on steroids. It controls all of education. It controls all of the media. Uh, you know, uh, when I say all, 99%, okay, the media. It, re- it, it, it has infiltrated every single institution, including the Bible colleges and the universities. It has infiltrated the, the denominations of Christianity. It has infiltrated everything. And you got guys like you and me who stand up and say what we say, and we, they think we're nuts. But what we say is what this country always was. Freedom. Personal responsibility, spiritual responsibility, a man taking responsibility for his family, a woman submitting to her husband's leadership. Oh, I said something that upset somebody. I don't care. The scripture is the word of God. And if you believe it's the word of God, then stop making excuses for it and stand up for it. That's what I say to your listeners. Listen to me, Christian. Your money belongs to you because God gave it to you in the ability of you to have labor and make that money. Don't let the government take it from you and tell you that it's theirs and they're just allowing you to keep some. This is just a symptom of the total destruction of the philosophical worldview of our country. So we shouldn't be surprised that every single philosophical position from economics to how the family works to everything has been completely turned upside down by the progressive worldview which has been inculcated into the youth of America for the last 40 years, and now you have young people, 20-something years old, 30 years old, who don't know anything. And that's why. Yeah, and that uh, you know progressive mindset and ideology seems to, to infect and ruin almost everything. And, and as I, I'll keep going back to this, it seems to be a, a spiritual problem at its root, and it has overtaken, uh, apparently... A small majority of the people, and I say small because it may be 51 to 49 percent, there's still that silent majority out there. But if you go by appearances with what we see in the Hollywood and in the media yeah. and in the world of politics, you would think that each and every single American uh, believes this way. But I mean, well, it's a course. dangerous road we're on. Yes, no, that's the that's the plan. That's what political correctness is all about. It's it's you don't get it, you don't have the right to speak. Only people who have a right to speak are the elite and the progressives who control all of the media. 
So from, if they can say whatever they want in the education of uh, of our young people. They can say whatever they want in the media. They can say whatever they want in so-called comedy. What a comedy! I mean, half of these comedians are terrible, even funny anymore. They can do they can do anything they want, but they tell an average American citizen, particularly a Christian conservative, you cannot say what you want. You have to do what we tell you to do. You can't even say what you want over the pulpit, or the government's going to come after you. I, I'll say anything I want to say. I don't care what the government says. The problem is pastors will not say it. We are being controlled by spiritual forces. And I'm of the opinion, in my viewpoint, that almost everything is spiritual. It manifests in the natural. World War II was a spiritual thing. It, the evil manifested in Hitler, but it was a spiritual evil that manifested in natural. Our entire country is manifesting very ungodly things that obviously started in the spiritual realm and now they're manifesting in the natural realm in our country. And so we have uh, people like bakers who just want to run their business and live for Jesus and they have their, under penalty of law, they're telling them they have to make a cake that has, that, that, that promotes a gay wedding, which is against their faith. They're not going to do it. They're going to be sanctioned by government. This is tyranny, my friends. While the church runs around, with their little bumper stickers, carrying their little Bible, and, you know, singing a couple of Christian songs and going to their Christian workout, the country's going to hell in a handbasket because Christians aren't willing to preach the gospel and make disciples. They're willing to stand for the Word of God. So we shouldn't be surprised that most of the country now, the young people particularly, think that money doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the government, and the government can tell you what you can have and what you can't have. We shouldn't be surprised that the government, now many governments, uh, state governments are now paying for abortion. We shouldn't be surprised that we have gay marriage and people who are now saying that they identify as another species. We have lost our minds as a nation, and the nation looks at guys like you and me and says we're crazy. What does that tell you? That tells us there's a huge... <laughs> A huge problem. Uh, Reverend, what, what are some of the things the church is doing right? The church only does the right thing when it preaches the gospel uncompromisingly. The church only does the right thing when it lives the gospel uncompromisingly. Not perfect, no one's perfect, but lives it uncompromisingly. The church only does the right thing when it raises up a moral standard and is the prophet to the nation instead of being a reactionary entertainment center that's trying to follow after the nation. Every time the nation comes up, comes up with some new thing, the church says, oh, let's let's have a coffee shop now. That'll get people saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't care if you have a coffee shop. That's not, I don't care. The point is, your latest trendy thing is not going to change the nation. Can we get back to the book of Acts? Can we get back to what Jesus said? Can we get back to the word of God and what wins people to Christ? Can we do that? We'll only do that if we have men, yes, men, in the pulpit that are willing to do it. And if we have people in the pews that are willing to follow men in the pulpit that are willing to do it. If that happens, this country's turned upside down in a good way. If it doesn't happen, I don't care how much money we make or don't make. I don't care how much we think we're strong, our military might. If we continue to sin against God the way we are, if we continue to go down this road, which gets worse and worse, this nation will rot from within. And we will be taken over by our enemies. That will happen. You can mark my words. That's what history teaches us. 
And I'm a student of history. History teaches us exactly where we're headed. Yes, absolutely it does. Would you say the church is against abortion? I would say uh, if you're... Uh, and by the way, Joe and I were talking about that question before you, you asked that. To even have to ask that question yeah, should well, tell you, us a whole lot. I'll tell you the answer. I know the answer. The answer is the church is absolutely against abortion. And any building that has a cross on it that said it's okay to kill babies is not a church. So the answer is yes, the church is against abortion. There may be some people or buildings that call themselves a church that are not against abortion, but they're not the church. They're apostate. There's your answer. Yeah, that that is uh, that's the biblical answer, and that's the way that we absolutely should should look at this. And it, it's just uh, you know it's frustrating when we see just a very small uh, segment of the Christian population engaging yeah. in that fight. And everybody else seems to want to ignore it. Right. Well, bro, listen, brother. You know, you listen, brothers. We're, you know, we're on our own. You know, we don't we don't have a huge army. We're like Gideon's army, my friend. That's what we got. We got a small group of people within the Christian community in this country, probably ten percent, that actually believe the Word of God. They actually believe in making disciples. They actually put their money where their mouth is and their time where their mouth is. About 10%. we got a Gideon's army, my friend. But I remind you that they turned uh, Rome upside down, Roman Empire, didn't they, with 12 men. So we could do it if we had three, if we had 10% that were willing to, to do what they needed to do and had leadership. One of the worst problems, I think, in America right now is we have a very big lack of leadership in the Christian community. What we have in the Christian community is the National Association of Evangelicals, Right? Mm-hmm. What, what is that? That has become a joke. What does it mean to be an evangelical today? I mean, come on. So the problem is we don't have any leadership in this country that people are following, that are leading the church from the standpoint of standing up against abortion, standing up against what's wrong. What we have is instead a bunch of pro-family, quote-unquote, organizations that have been in bed with the Republican Party for the last 30 years, and uh, they're corrupted. You're yeah, corrupted. I'll you, tell you, you, let you, you. Let me tell you just a quick story. When I was in sure. Connecticut back years ago, I was in Connecticut. I'm pastor in Connecticut. And I'm I'm uh, I was as involved then as I am now with all the politics and all the social. I had to go on radio, television, and I'm at a meeting with the governor at the time, John Rowland. And John Rowland at the time was a governor. He ended up going to jail for being a crook, unfortunately. I think he got saved though. I, I believe he did, and I hope so. Uh, so I went to see uh, see him. I'm talking to him, and he's talking to me. He says, "Pastor, you know, what do you want to say to me?" And I said, "Well, I said I'm concerned. I'm concerned about your stance on life." So he goes, "Well, where are you going to go?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "What are you going to do? You're going to go to the Democrats?" And um, I looked him in the eye, and I said to him, "I said, you know, that's an amazing thing. You're triangulating, saying if you don't like it, too bad. There's nowhere else to go." And I told him, I said, I know where I'm going. I'm going to go to a third-party candidate, and you're going to lose. So uh, that's what I did. I went to a third-party candidate, and John Rowland lost because of that that elitist attitude. Where are you going to go? That's the Republican Party, my friend. They think, we're not as bad as the Democrats. Where are you going to go? 
but they are as bad as the Democrats because they lie Bingo. to your face. They yeah. lie to you. They tell you they believe in the Constitution. They tell you, at least the Democrats tell you the truth that they're Marxists, that they're un-American, ungodly Marxists. The Republicans walk around acting like they're our friends. They are not. Now, yes, of course, in the rank and file, there are a lot of good Republicans. But I'm talking about the leadership. They're all working for the same people, and the same people are giving them money. It's a joke, and, and, and it's a bad one. So you can't put your trust in pro-family organizations. You can't put your trust in the Republican Party. You've got to put your trust in Jesus. And we do need leadership in this country, Christian leadership. We do really desperately need Christian leadership to rise up and to lead, lead the church. When I say the church, I mean the 10% that are serious. Amen. Amen. Uh, Dr. David Berman is our guest. Uh, Dr. Berman, tell people where they can find you and um, just go ahead. You give out all yeah. of your platforms. Sure. You can get me at uh, uh, www.clfchurch.com. That stands for Christian Life Fellowship. clfchurch.com. You can email me, Dr. Dave at clfchurch.com. That's D R D A V E. You can uh, email me there. You can also get me on Twitter, which I would like you to do. Please follow me on Twitter. That's helpful. Uh, from my Twitter handle is Dr. David M. Berman. Just one word. Uh, don't spell out doctor. Just D-R-D-A-V-I-D-M-B-E-R-M-A-N. You can reach me on Twitter, or you can get me on Facebook as David Berman as well. But if you want to get in touch with me, email me or get me on Twitter or something. And I, I, do, I am available to speak if my schedule allows it, and I'm certainly available for interviews. I've do, been doing these for uh, you know, almost 30 years. Well, that's that's great, and uh, it's a, a great conversation we're having now. I want to get your opinion on uh, since we're talking about the church. Um, one of the leaders, the, the the main leader of the church, the Catholic Church, the Pope, has taken yeah. these these huge, you know, socialist and, and progressive <clears throat> stances. Yeah. And what do you make of this? I mean, is this what the is the Catholic Church listening to this guy? Oh my gosh! I mean, I happen to have some uh, Catholic friends that are um, you know kind of really into being Catholic they're not just Catholics and they are big time Catholics they're not happy with the Pope I'll tell you that right now <laughs> yeah the Pope is making very strange uh, uh, statements if you don't know who he is but if you know who he is you know he's interested in liberation theology because that's where he comes from South America where liberation theology is big liberation theology is sort of a Marxist uh, Christianity, if you can imagine such a thing. For they use Christianity, but they use Marxist principles for their economic principles because they think somehow that that's what God wants. But God does not want Marxist principles, I can guarantee you that. <laughs> okay. So the Pope has said all kinds of crazy things, and I, um, I think it's a very interesting time we're living in because, you know, the Pope, the Catholics kind of back themselves into a bit of a corner here because if the Pope is the Pope and he was uh, you know he was accepted uh, by the Cardinals then you know it's kind of hard to say the guy's not a good guy for the Catholics you know what I'm saying I'm not a Catholic I don't believe in Catholicism but the Catholics have a little problem here right because the guy is obviously a liberal so I will say this at least so far he hasn't been liberal on abortion, so I'm at least thankful for that. No, but he, he's talking about changing the the Lord's Prayer. I don't know if you saw that, where he I said, uh, "I did see that." Yes, can I help? Wanted, you? Yeah, 
Yeah, actually, in fairness, I understand what he, it's not like yeah, you're thinking. He's saying that in the when you read the passage, it makes it sound like God is leading us into temptation because of the English translation. Is yeah, what he's, no, I, I do understand yeah. that, but yeah, I also okay. understand, you know, that's the prayer Jesus gave when he said you should pray like this. And also, in the Bible, it very clearly states that the Lord does not lead anybody into temptation. Right, right. So, so I guess his his I'm saying his argument. His argument right. I think I think his argument is that the English is not rendering the Greek accurately um as it should. That's his argument. So um, well, I, I can understand understand yeah. that if he's talking about merely a translation issue to make yeah, the translation more accurate. That's that's what he's saying. I mean I'm not I'm not a defender of the Pope, but I want to be fair to anybody. You know, I don't want to. I, I never want to bear false witness against anybody, and and so that's what I heard him say. So there's plenty of other things about the Pope I can tell you. I'm not in favor of. <laughs> you know I mean? No, I know, and he's a uh, he 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 gets a lot of press. I mean, he says just about every week there's a a quote from him in the news, and maybe it's because of what he's saying more so than him just saying stuff. But well, let's uh, let's think. I mean, let's think about it. I mean, all you have to do is ask yourself if Nancy Pelosi likes the Pope. If yeah. all, all my lib- all the liberal people I know think he's a good pope, what does that tell you? Yeah. Well, so, really I mean, it's just like, go ahead. It's just like net neutrality, right? The government wants it. If the government wants it, I don't want it. Yeah, when George Soros is behind it, um, exactly. I don't need any other information that's about it. A, that's a whole other topic. That's absurd. But my my point is is that all we need to do half the time to find out whether something is of God is just to look at the people that are against it. <laughs> and you can tell right away. Yep. That's very this true. Is, yeah. <laughs> this, is probably, this is probably of God since all the leftists hate it, you know? <laughs> and, we, and we find that in, in, in when we discuss American exceptionalism. You know, there's yeah. this, whatever this resistance is to... Uh, accepting American exceptionalism, or, or even yeah. recognizing it, and if you want to, if you want to even address that further, feel sure. free. Well, what is American exceptionalism? When we say American exceptionalism, we were never saying that American people are better than everybody. Hmm. What we were saying was the reason why there's American American exceptionalism is because America has a constitution and a culture that is different than any place else. And because of that freedom, it has afforded us the opportunity to do things that other countries were never able to do. That's all that means, American exceptionalism. But here's the problem. The reason why the left hates the term American exceptionalism is because they are multiculturalists. They believe in multiculturalism. They don't believe that American culture, as it was, was superior to foreign cultures. In fact, they believe the American culture is inferior to foreign cultures. So they're totally against the idea of America being exceptional because what exceptionalism was for America was that because we believed in God, because we had a constitution that limited government, because we had a Bill of Rights, because we had kept our own money, because we had innovation, we were allowed to do what we need to do from an innovative standpoint, creativity, it made us exceptional. But the left doesn't want us to be exceptional. They want, actually, they want us dumbed down and destroyed because they do not want America to be the best nation or the most powerful nation because they want the globalists to take over and have a one world government. That's why in the schools you'll see the signs, think globally, act locally. You'll see signs, a citizen of the world. 
This is all pushing globalism and the destruction of the Constitution and the idea of American exceptionalism and our way of life being superior to, say, Afghanistan. And for them, they don't want to say any culture is superior to the other. Having said that, I will tell you that most of these people are what I believe Stalin, it might have been Lenin, described, I think it was Lenin, described as useful idiots. Because the truth of the matter is the people that are really, really high up in power, I'm talking about the George Soros types, the big, big, big powerful money people, they don't want anything but to rule the world. That's what they want. They want to rule it. And if they can get us, they can get these useful idiots to stop us from speaking, to take away our rights, to have to impose political correctness on us through these useful idiots. And then when they get power, these useful idiots will be very upset to find out that they are now under the same tyranny. And that's yeah. what these people don't understand. My rights depend on your rights, brother. I've got to defend your rights, brother, in order for mine to be defended. And I've got to find I've got to defend even the liberals' right to free speech if mine is going to be upheld. But these people, these useful idiots, don't understand this. If they take our free speech away, eventually theirs will be taken away as well. That's just the way it will be. That's what history teaches. Yeah, it does, and and um, that's un- it's unfortunate that you know this that concept is not understood by the people of this nation, and it each generation, each you know five each year that goes by, each month that goes by, we see those principles uh, you know just being forgotten in the bin of history, and uh, as we talked about with our guest earlier, and and you mentioned this, the education system is just. And as a system of indoctrination, people don't really learn anything. And instead, they're they're pointed in a direction as what they should uh, learn instead of actually, uh, you know, being given the free reign and the tools to to do what's right um, intellectually. But it, it's all controlled for the purposes of of that dumbing down of society. Absolutely, and and there's no question about it. And 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 there's so people in the country have become so, especially. And I, and I don't want to pick on all young people. It's not a great young people. Don't misunderstand me. But the college, unfortunately, the college age is a, uh, the the millennial generation. Many have been just raised a certain way, and so they don't even understand things like, for example. When people call Trump a fascist and they run around and they're going fascist, no, you know, no, no, no more fascist USA and all this nonsense. And they're yelling this out and you just, you know, as a, a person who is, who is schooled in these things, you want to pull your hair out because I tweeted earlier, I think it was today, I tweeted that Trump lowered taxes, gave land back to the people, decentralized regulation, made it clear that every citizen should have a right to their guns, wants people to be able to carry their guns over state lines, wants everybody to have free speech, including churches, including black churches, and they call him a fascist. I, I just retweeted that on my personal uh, Twitter Did page, you? by the way. Yeah, yeah. Just, just moments ago, actually. Yeah, it's crazy. How can, you, how can you possibly describe somebody who wants to lower taxes, deregulate, give more power to people, have free speech? How can you possibly define that person as a fascist? 
That's the opposite of fascism, but because we've dumbed down people, they don't even know, understand politics, economics, philosophy, they don't understand worldview, history, nothing, they go around calling the guy a fascist, not even knowing what it even means. Yay, yay, rah, rah, fascist, don't even know. So, it's pathetic, my friend. It, it, very much so. And I think you nailed it with that, with that tweet, um, which is why I, I, I retweeted it as well. Yeah. And, and it's, this is, is it, what is this though? Yeah. I, I know you mentioned about the indoctrination, of course, useful idiots. Is it a willful, um, is it ignorance? Is it a willful attempt to deceive or both that we're seeing? Well, well, we have a, a lazy population. Very, I call us, I say we're liberty illiterate. You can use it if you'd like. Thank <laughs> you. Liberty, liberty illiterate. That's what's happened. We've lost our understanding philo- philosophically of what we believe in as a nation, what made this nation great. And so when you lose that, and you replace it with sort of this shifting relativistic worldview <clears throat> where your feet are no longer on concrete but they're on sand and it's changing every week. And truth is not truth. It just becomes whatever you say truth is. So if I say I'm a monkey, you have to accept that. I mean, we what do we expect is happening to our country? We've lost a very foundation of what we are, of who we who we were, of of this idea of personal responsibility and liberty and and family and a man being uh, a strong man taking care of his family, of chivalry, of defending a woman, and 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 this is another thing, you know, why you get don't get a preacher going. This is what you're going to get, you know. If I hear one more person tell me that Christian conservatives are the ones that are anti-women, I'm going to pull the rest of my hair out. We're the ones that believe in protecting women. We're the ones that believe women should not be objectified sexually. We're the ones that believe that a woman's body shouldn't be touched until you marry her. We're the ones that believe that you should treat a woman with respect. We're the ones that believe that we should defend a woman with our life if necessary. We're the ones that believe that, and they're the ones in Hollywood that are abusing women, in the Congress that are abusing women, in the media are abusing women. All these pro-women people are saying that we have a war on women. It's insanity. They, they, what they always do is accuse us of the very things that they are doing. They do it every single day. If, if a woman is listening to this broadcast right now and wonders, what does a Christian believe? Let me tell you. A Christian believes that a woman is a gift from God and that a man has no right to touch her body until he is committed to her in, all, in marriage before Almighty God. That's what a Christian believes. And a Christian man believes that his, his responsibility to defend his wife with his life if necessary, to lay his life down to defend her. That's what a Christian man believes. We're not anti-women. We are the ones that believe in protecting women and treating women with respect. It's the world that is anti-woman. Yeah, and that's very true. And that projection is uh, you know, something that they've mastered. And just the latest example of that, a New York Times piece that just came out is uh, stating, you know, uh, Trump is about to stage a massive coup when in reality, you know, the coup is is this Mueller-Russia investigation and how can somebody who's already grabbed the most powerful seat in the world 
coup their way there afterwards. You know, it's just this uh, insanity. But um, if I can, we only have a few minutes left, and I just want to get your your take on this. Uh, Back to the economy, we've seen some e-growth over the last few quarters. We see these tax cuts and more projected jobs growth and and manufacturing sector increases and, and lower taxes. Do you believe if if the economy continues to to boost as strong as it has been and goes even higher the next uh, f- few six eight months that the at least the oh I know that the polls aren't right in the news but the approval ratings for Trump seem to be really low. Do you think that the, the people if they see that uh, you know Trump is actually doing things to make this country better that his approval ratings will go up or do you think the media's uh, constant hammering and lying about him is going to do him in? Um, you know, obviously this is pure speculation. I'll just give you my viewpoint, my speculation viewpoint. I think that the polls, I think that Trump has taken a bad hit because they beat this guy up to death. Having said that, I think the polls are wrong. I do not believe they're as low as they are because I simply believe that there's a lot of people that support Trump that will not say so because they're afraid of the backlash. And that's the same thing that happened in the election. I do believe that Trump will be reelected. And um, I believe that we're going to see a massive increase in the economy in the next year. I think we're going to hit at least 4%, maybe 4.5% economic growth. Um, eventually, it doesn't matter how much they rank on Trump. At some point, people start realizing that things are, are much better. And the polls also show that the media is very, very low in its approval rating. And there's a ton of people that believe that the media is purposely unfair to Trump. So the polls show a number of things. But I believe that the polls about Trump are basically um, skewed because people don't want the backlash from supporting Trump, for one. I also think that part of the reason why some people don't like Trump that poll might be skewed a little bit because I still think that people may not like Trump from the standpoint personally of the way he behaves sometimes, but they still may vote for him because they may like his policies. So I guess we're just going to have to wait and see, but my sense is that he will get reelected. Now, having said that, the 2018 election of um, uh, House and uh, Senate, the, the, listen, the Republicans are going to get hurt bad, I think. Um, I really do. And I think so because they have not stood with the president. And I think a lot of Republicans are going to stay home. Um, I really do. Um, you know, traditionally in the midterm election, right after the presidential election, whoever wins the presidency always loses seats. So we would expect that. But I think they're going to get, and if, if something doesn't turn around, I think there's a good chance they're going to really get hurt bad. Uh, because... If you don't get the base out to vote for you, and they're hoping the tax bill will do that, you know. Right, if you don't the unity. The base, yeah, they'll hope, they're hoping. But if they don't get the base out, remember, the other side is fired up. That's always the case. Because whenever, yep. your, whenever your guy loses, you get angry, and you take it out at the next election on the party, the other party that, that you lost to. That happens. So that the uh, the party out of power is always more enthused at the first election uh, than the party that won. Because the party that won starts to rest on their laurels a little bit. That's just the way it is. How bad it will be this time, I don't know. But I'll tell you this. 
if if I am absolutely sure of this, and I can't prove it, but this is my opinion anyway. Had the Republicans repealed Obamacare right away, did everything they said they were going to do, kicked you know, kicked it, got going on the wall, everything. I don't think they would have lost in the. I don't think they would lose uh, in the midterm election, and I think they would own Washington for the next forty years. Yeah, because because the Constitution works, conservative economic principles work. If you do them, they will work. They always work. Yeah, they do, and and I agree. It's going to take a lot more from the Republican House and Senate to get. Um, even to stay even in, during the midterm elections. And it is yeah. historically accurate that the op- opposing party or the party not in power does, uh, you know, get a lot of that back during the midterms. And that's, right. uh, you know, it's going to be right around the corner before we know it. Those will be here. But we, we are out of time already. Uh, oh, do- Do- Reverend Dr. Pastor David Berman. Uh, is our guest and we want to thank you so much for joining us tonight it was a, a fantastic yeah, hour it's great always great to be with you guys it's uh, fantastic to know that there's some good patriot christian brothers that are on the radio on the on the television doing their thing man thanks a lot i appreciate the opportunity to say what i need to say well anytime and the, the invitation is always open and i just want to, we just want to wish you a very merry christmas yes merry christmas to you and to your listeners Amen. All right, and we'll be we'll we'll have you back on uh, sometime here in the near future. So you guys take care and uh, yeah, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. So it's always good to it's always good good to talk to like minded people and the uh, Christian conservative patriot and, and, and who knows and who understands and is comfortable with that combination and doesn't shy away from that. Thank you very right. much, my friend. Amen. Right. God bless. Folks, that'll do it. Tomorrow, until tomorrow. Another regular day. Tomorrow, 9, yep. 8, 10, your show. Yep, and then two to three years. You've been getting a lot of feedback on your show. Yeah, of course. Of course. So i get in there and answer it. Yeah, of course. And then, of course, our flagship show, 7 to 10, tomorrow night. As we wind up toward the Christmas holiday. Now, just an announcement real quick. Christmas Day and the day after. Monday and Tuesday. Right, Monday and Tuesday, we will be off with our families. We appreciate that ability to take that two those two days off. Um, it won't be like that, uh, you know, on the New Year's, but uh, just for Christmas, so we can be with our families. All right, we will be back tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. 